Trent, the gent, they life agents On top of pavements, peppermint patty fragrance Taking the credits when they spits and spritz A chip and dip, a dip and dale, I pin the tear Death throw the penalty ID, throwing your identity Theft crime in the night, pick, pop, key the lock Stop, drop, roll the dice, double, double, do eat the rock road Rochambeau, tic-tac-toe, crossing the road with the nice flow With my industry, see me room, room, play monopoly With my commodities, stop the eyes and cross the teeth, teeth how do you do, venters? My chief purpose of this podcast is to have meaningful conversations with significant individuals whom I have connected with along the way. As my daughter says in the intro, we will dot all the I's and cross all the T's to prove that questions are the answers while finding out what these significant people ultimately vent about. Today I'm with my friend Jaye Pearson Lynn. He is a criminal defense attorney in the city of Los Angeles. And Jaye, I want to thank you for being a guest on Vent with Trent the Gent. And I'm so glad to have you. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I'm honored to be here. This is my first podcast, so I'm excited to see how this thing works. All right, good. So hopefully it won't be your last, and hopefully we can get back and we can get together from, from time to time, and maybe you can become a a friend of the show uh, so is. of some sort. So we're fresh off of a U.S. election, as you know. So let's talk about that right off the bat. So being a criminal defense attorney, what are your thoughts on the two propositions um, relative to the repealing of the death penalty and the expediting of the entire death row process? Um, my issue with the death penalty is in the is the same issue I have with the system overall. It's disproportionately impacts black people. That doesn't mean even as a criminal defense attorney I feel like there should be no death penalty. Like death penalty essentially is our defense sometimes, you know, self defense. <laughs> it's like the guy tried to attack my client, he got the death penalty for his actions. So I, if I could agree with my client killing someone to protect himself, um, I could agree with the government killing someone to protect society. Uh, if that, what that person has done has proven worthy of someone who, who has given up their right to life. Um, which I do believe you can. Every right we have, we can do something to give up that right, including our right to life. Uh, with that said, the the way it's carried out, you know, who is who the death penalty is sought after, uh, those things are where I have the problem. And, and with something like the death penalty, I always took the position if let's fix the problem before we do something that we can't fix, which if you do get it wrong on the death penalty, you can't let that man out of jail and give him a big settlement. He or she is dead and gone forever. So it is something I want to get right. Uh, but that's my overall view of the death penalty. As far as those two propositions, I didn't vote for it either on the fact that both of them cause for uh, the inmates to have to work to pay for their time on death row, which 
is just too eerily similar to slavery for me. Like to have that in the books, like although the 13th Amendment says clearly, you know, you can't uh, uh, reduce somebody to involuntary servitude unless they've been convicted. But just saying that the way it was written in those propositions, I think slavery is a slippery slope, one that we don't want to go down. Now, what does it look like in actual real time when these people are working and they don't want to work that day because they're about to die anyway? What happens? Do they get strung up like Kunta and, you know, beaten? Do they get put in a sweat box? <laughs> like, what, what happens? Uh, what kind of work would they be doing? And so that part of it I did not appreciate, although I do understand the notion of having people pay their debt to society. Um, but in, in, you know, with both of those situations, uh, you know, it's, it was just the, the way I read it and my familiar, familiarity with the California criminal justice system just seems like it would be too close to uh, slavery. And, you know, protecting the rights of those who have even given up their right to life uh, while they're alive, they, they should still have certain rights. Because um, if we like don't give it to them, then we lose our moral high ground and we're just as bad as them and we're supposed to be a civilized society and a civilized society kills people in a civilized manner. What, what are some of those rights that they still deserve? Um, uh, I believe they, they should have the right to food. Uh, I don't think it's, it's humane to kill somebody by starving, just like, uh, mm -hmm. sit there, starve you to death. Um, you know, decent, uh, an, enough, uh, right to, to clean themselves, you know, uh, to speak with their family members. Um, and you know, just, that's pretty much it. It's not like a whole lot, yeah. like, but I'm saying as long as we're calling ourselves a civilized society, even with these people that we have deemed fit for death, uh, in their, while they're still alive, I think we have a duty to um, still treat them as humane as possible. Yeah. So obviously you, you hit a lot there. Um, you might have heard, I think it just came out today, that the attorney for Lyle and Eric Melendez, uh, the Melendez brothers, they found some type of loophole um, to, they might be on the brink of getting out of prison. And as you might recall, they got the life sentence um, without a possibility of parole. So, and I, I think the loophole was the, in their second trial, the um, judge did not allow the fact that they were um, physically and sexually assaulted by their father, allegedly. So how, how can all this come back into play? And um, what do you think of, of the attorney that's trying to get them out of prison? And well, as you said earlier, I mean, would they be deemed harmful to society by, if they were to get out? Yeah, and that, that, that latter question is the, the if, if we could figure that out, you know, we wouldn't have crime, um, like the minority report type stuff where you, you, you could stop them before it started. We don't know. They could be completely 
in a place in their mind where they plan to never commit crime again, or they could say, you know, I, I had to suffer as a kid, I had to suffer um, in prison for trying to free myself from my childhood suffering, so now I'm gonna go out here and make somebody else suffer. That's a completely reasonable conclusion for someone in their position, as well as it's a reasonable conclusion to say, hey man, I never want a family I have to go through this, I never want to go through this. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that kids feel, know that they can free themselves of abuse without killing. You know, those, it could also go that way. And that's also a reasonable conclusion. So, you know, we don't know what would happen, but as far as, and this is my first time hearing, mm -hmm. hearing about that, but we, the, what's important to note from what you just stated is that most people don't get to that point unjustifiably. They've been beaten, they've had friends murdered, they've uh, been uh, abused mentally, physically, sexually. Um, and most of these people that do these horrendous things, when you go into their background, it's worse than what they actually did, what, what society did to them. And that's the, the other side of it because if, if somebody's only been taught that this way is the right way, this way is the right way, is, is it really fair to treat them the same as someone that knows better? You know, so in, this, in the Melendez brothers situation, if they were actually abused and uh, them killing their parents was in response to that abuse, um, you know, I think that does mitigate those circumstances down to where uh, a punishment of a 20, 25 years can be sufficient for what they've done. Um, you know, should that evidence should it have been included in in that case in the second trial? I I believe it should have. Now the thing is, I'm not sure how credible that evidence was. Um, was it only from their mouths, or were there ever pictures or reports? Yeah, I didn't see any photos. What I read was there was a letter that he sent to a, a relative stating that he was afraid to go to sleep at night because he know he knew his dad was going to come into the room and he just couldn't stand it to think what was going to happen on that any given night so so I guess that would be his words yeah well you know that's uh, a hearsay is an out-of-court statement offered for the truth of the matter asserted so if he wrote it to a relative it would be out of court and if they're offering that as proof that it happened then it sounds like hearsay now it could be uh, brought in uh, under various exceptions, um, like just to show their state of mind, uh, as opposed to proof that it actually happened. If they really wrote this letter at this time, it's not necessarily proof that it happened as much as proof of their state of mind. Um, but that's a tough call uh, for the judge. But I, I, if you know, in a world where all things are right, they're actually abused and there's evidence of it, it should certainly be let in. But there's a reason we have these rules because, man, I, I, I just did a restraining order hearing. 
I hadn't done one in a while, but I'm now 11 and 0 for my career in restraining orders. Congratulations. Um, thanks. And, you know, a lady came in with her picture, like, yeah, these pictures were taken that day, the same day it happened. Look, here it is right here. And I objected to it because we hadn't seen the pictures that day. She had enough time to get us all the information. Um, but when I went into the details, the thing was supposed to happen, let's say, on the 15th. But on the photo, the photo was taken like on the 20th. Now, I, you know, you bring that up to the judge. Well, she's like, hey, you said it was taken on the same day, right? Well, this says differently. This says it's another day. And she's saying she don't know nothing about what you did, what you saying she did, and that's that. Uh, so it ended up getting thrown out on that basis. And that's, you know, one of those things. You can't just shove just with a picture like this is what happened. Well, when was the picture taken? Who took the picture? All those things are, are relevant, same, especially with a letter. You know, who wrote it? When was it written? So without, you know, really knowing those factors, uh, I can't say um, whether it should have been admitted or not. But in a perfect world where, well, it wouldn't be a perfect world, but in a world where they were telling the truth and it actually happened, and there was any significant evidence of it, that evidence should have been allowed to be brought in to show the mindset uh, of those brothers. I'm sure there's some listeners out there right now, and I'm sure you have encountered many conservative-minded individuals, even individuals that have lost loved ones due to perpetrators of violent crimes, and they they just want to know how can you want to even protect someone that possibly perpetrated a, a violent crime? Do, do, do you get that a lot, or how, yeah, how, how do you handle that? Par for the course for a defense attorney comes, you know, minimum twice a week. Um, but ultimately, the, the short answer is by protecting the, the least of us, we're protecting the greatest of us. And um, I'm, I, I, everything I do is, um, I, I'm an American citizen. I believe in America, for better or for worse, traveling around the world. I know there's no country that can just say, hey, point the finger at us without us being able to legitimately point it back at them for something. So that tells me everywhere has its problems. I love America. Um, I say that to say within that construct, my focus and my interest is black America. Um, so when I do things, I'm thinking, how is it going to affect black America, uh, for better or for worse? And that's, I don't do anything with the express intent to diminish anyone else. It's just this is the community I come from. I believe everybody should care for the community that they come from. So with that, uh, with, with that being said, uh, to answer that question, if we cut the rights of any group of people, child, rapists, whatever, the, and, and society says it's okay to cut those rights, the very next group I feel will be black men, whatever that group is. So it's like as long as that happens, as long as I'm protecting the, the child baby rapist uh, rights, there's, we're protecting everybody's rights because we don't want it to be okay to cut the rights for anybody. The rights do, do not preclude this person from being punished. It's just 
he has a right to due process. If there's video, if you got a laptop um, with all kind of child porn, you in the child porn. Ain't nothing I can do unless the government obtained that information illegally. Nothing I can do would have them have me win that case. So, but he needs to have that case. He needs to have that trial. It's not just a foregone, foregone conclusion because something may come up. And even if something came up and they found out the government illegally obtained that information, uh, people probably would be mad at me for pointing that out. But really, if you're okay with them doing that here, then you have to be okay with them doing it to you and your son and your brother and mother. And that's not okay with me. I'm not okay. Even though I might decide, you know, just because I represent somebody zealously doesn't mean I appreciate what they've done or what they've been, you know, alleged to have done. Um, but uh, I do know they need their rights protected. And that's what it's, uh, so short answer is I'm, I'm fighting for the rights of everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason is, is because I know the next, next group. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How often do you, in, I guess, this is an appropriate question. So how, how often do you know if your client is guilty or not? Or does that matter? Because it seems like we're just saying, how, how did you attain mm. this information? Did you do it in the right way? Is it legal? Or well, do you well, need to, to represent them um, to the fullest? Do you need to know if they were guilty or not? Well, one, I, I need to know uh, everything that you know as the client. Um, sometimes they keep it from me, sometimes it bites them in the ass, like, excuse my, but it's like, man, you, I'm sitting there in court, you told me about it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, where'd that I come think from? it was Bomb important. <laughs> it's like, I said, tell me everything. So that situation, it's, it's best for me to know everything. Now, I am not a judge. I'm not here to judge you. Um, so that's, I don't really have a problem with that. Uh, I heard a saying um, the first time I went to the National Bar Association Conference in 2014 in Atlanta uh, in the criminal law section in these conferences, all the terms we have to do at least like 10, 12 hours of continuing legal education each year. So going to the conferences, you get these CLE courses. And uh, talking about criminal law, one guy in responding to that is like, you know, well, you know, I'll I, I represent the devil in hell if you pay my fee. And I thought about that, and I was like, man, it sounds so harsh. <laughs> but who, uh, if, if you're really about this on the criminal defense side, that's what it has to be. Like, if there's, there's certain attorneys like, I'd never take this kind of case, I'd never take that kind of case. I don't like sex cases, but I still haven't seen the kind of case where I don't know the people involved that I would take. It's a different thing, you know, you alleged to have killed this dude. No problem, let's go. You alleged to have killed this dude that's my girl's cousin. I may have an issue with that. You know, I may have to pass that on, pass you along to somebody that is not as closely related. You know, I don't think I could, even though I would want a, a perpetrator who killed one of my friends or loved ones, to have their due process, I don't think I could be the one to get it for them. 
um, in certain situations, but that's personal. Other than that, you know, I don't, I don't really have a problem um, representing anybody. And to your to your question, guilt and innocence is determined in court. So if we are going to follow um, the Constitution, then we're all presumed innocent until proven guilty. So the presumption of innocence on all my clients with open cases are still there, and guilt is something proven in a court of law. So the question is, is should really, if you ever ask that question to an attorney again, is mm -hmm. what would you, you know, it's more not whether they're guilty or not, whether they did <laughs> what they said or not, because you, you could do something. And still be But you innocent. don't, you aren't necessarily guilty of a yes. crime. So that's, and you, may have been guilty if it went to trial, but whatever happened, witness didn't show, whatever happened, it didn't go to trial, so you're not guilty of it. And it may be semantics to some people, but that's that's what it actually is. So yeah. it's like guilt and innocence is determined in the court of law, so I represent somebody that's guilty because the jury found them guilty, and you know, I'm representing them on their sentencing. So that's the only time they're guilty is exactly. you know, after they've been convicted. Yeah. So you, a few minutes ago, you said you love America, mm -hmm. as we all do. So how are the states with the a la carte laws um, affecting the United States uh, as a whole? So let's take the whole legalization of marijuana, for example. Um, should it be a state-by-state -state issue, or does it need to be aligned um, because, for example, if there's a person that got stopped by a state authority, then they're fine, they're good to go, it's, it's legal. Yeah. But if a federal authority were to stop um, someone and were to find it, then it's a whole different story. So should there be some type of alignment and how are these a la carte laws affecting America as a whole? Well, it's, it's tough. In something like marijuana, it should be, um, alignment it, it, it should be across the board by this point that's how I feel about it there's other issues uh, like that I believe states should have uh, like the right to dictate what hours a liquor store can be open you know this the culture of Virginia as a state or a commonwealth is different from the culture of California as a commonwealth so they're gonna have different opinions on alcohol consumption and who can sell it, who can buy it. You know, we sell our alcohol like it's right behind at the convenience store. So every kid that goes to buy a Snickers, whatever they go to buy, they're looking at alcohol their whole life whenever they're growing up. Go to our grocery stores, it's right there in the front of our grocery stores. So, you know, then in Virginia, you can't sell hard liquor anywhere but the ABC store. So the only time the kids see Hennessy is when their parents buy it, but you won't go to the store to buy a Snicker and see a Hennessy. As obviously, it's inconvenient, <laughs> you know, when I'm out there in college and we can't just run to the quarter store, <laughs> you know, and then it's, yeah, it's 755, let's hurry up <laughs> because it closes at eight until Monday. <laughs> so, you know, we don't, it's inconvenient, but at the same time, when you think of it on that level, like what kids are actually seeing is, is it, wrong that they do it that way in Virginia? No, I don't think it is. But as far as, um, and, and, but it's still, they're still allowing people to 
use alcohol and obtain it, to just make it illegal just to use a substance, uh, I think it's 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 wrong. And I think you know, we're, if if we're truly one nation under God, I think it's hypocritical that something that man had no part in creating, uh, which to me means it's from God, is like a crime to possess. That's like, how is that? I thought we was all under God. God created this. Like, we, God didn't create alcohol. Man created alcohol. And you look at, what, like, what did God create that, like, causes thousands and thousands of deaths each year? Like, plant or substance, you know, that we consume for recreation. Like, what is that? Uh, tobacco? That's it, I, I yeah. guess. But I don't know if all the stuff that was added to it, <laughs> you exactly. know, like people had just been rolling up tobacco. So and, and what makes weed different from tobacco, obviously, is the mind-altering aspect of it. But, you know, for, for science, uh, pretty much across the board, to acknowledge its medicinal uh, uses and, and purposes, um, just to make that criminal to me is is problematic, and it, to me is more evidence that there's systematic forces uh, that are aligned to pursue and prosecute those in the black community. That's now, so. I was going to go there with you, and so with the passage of the legalization of the mar marijuana, you. I was going to ask you, how do you feel that's going to affect your your business? Uh, my bottom line is, uh, I, I think it will affect it, um, you know, and I'm okay, man. There's, there's a lot of ways to get in this legal profession. If no crime is committed, I'm all right. I will practice another area of law. I do, I'm, you know, from here, I don't like what happens when somebody needs my services, usually something bad has happened. Whether my client did it or not, something bad has happened. Uh, so if bad things would stop happening, I'd be perfectly okay with that. But where it it will, it'll affect my cases in, in like mainly gun cases. Gun and drug cases because that's what they find when they search your car due pursuant to the smell of alcohol. I mean the smell of marijuana. I smell, you smell alcohol you you can't search this man's like uh well we don't have tape decks anymore <laughs> you know people were, back when they had tape decks cop couldn't slide weed in the tape deck or something and then if the cops say he's i actually remember case cop said he was he smelled alcohol and was searching for the alcohol um and went into the tape deck and found the weed but it's like Okay, so what container that alcohol comes in would fit in the tape deck? There is none. <laughs> so that, that wasn't a legal search because it's not at all related to what you were searching for. Um, and that evidence ultimately got thrown out hmm, uh, because of that. So in those situations, I just think now, even though now this is where the state assembly comes in, I think it's imperative that they now make it plain on the record, on our books, that the smell of marijuana in and of itself is not probable cause for a search. What that does, cop pull you over, smell marijuana for, for speeding, legitimate, pulled you over for speeding. 
smell marijuana, now you don't have to be out on the side of the road uh, getting your trunk searched and your car torn up just because they smell marijuana. That could have been there two, three days ago. You know, could have been your brother smoking in your car. So now that that's what I'm excited about. Although it will lead to less, you know, recovery of uh, firearms. Um, but and once again, some people will hear that and be like, oh, my God, that's horrible. But those, those searches are wrong. You know, it's for every firearm that's recovered, there's hundreds of people that are searched where nothing is recovered. That, and that's going on in our communities, you know. And if, if, uh, if, if in Orange County, those people who rah-rah for Trump, if their children were getting stopped and pulled out the car and humiliated and, and made to be face down on concrete at the rate that we are here in South LA, they would have been took up arms. The way that, that you see them, I'm, I'm not against that. Go, you know, the Clive and Bundy, it's, I feel like he showed us the way. The, the, those people up in Oregon, they showed us the way. It's, that's, that's how you have to respond to the government. But it's not, not when we do. For some reason, it's always a different result when, when we try that. But I, I, I think it would be different. And all we need is those people to look at us as having the same rights as them. And they'll be just as offended by it. And then when that happens, you know, we'll, we won't need to say explicitly, don't do this because they'll know if they do there's going to be problems and there's going to be a response from the community so that's uh i'm i'm okay with it uh on that front but it also will in for the next few years until cops get it through their head that the smell of marijuana is not sufficient for a search i'm gonna end up getting a lot of guns and stuff suppressed and you know i'll be able to told on Instagram, oh, just got this case dismissed, just got that case dismissed. So over the next few years, it'll be beneficial, but a couple years down the line, I think it'll, uh, it, it will slow up. Paper off. Yeah. So since marijuana is a state-altering drug, do you think that there was any forethought into, I could even be in my home, just... Um, had some marijuana, partake in that, get in my car, drive, states altered, or did, did they did they look into the future that there might be more accidents, more car accidents, well, and how is that going to happen? I don't think happen? there's sufficient evidence to show that. I, I don't think the legalization of it is going to increase users that greatly in California. Maybe in the future, but for now, everybody who's adult age has already decided whether they like marijuana or not. <laughs> it's not like Good anywhere point. in California you could go and just be shielded from maybe some yeah. small yeah, places. Like, oh, I always wanted to do it. I'm yeah, so glad it's legal now. now. It's legal. So let's do <laughs> it. You know, 35 years old, I always wanted to try it. I ain't want to break the law. Yeah, that's not going to happen a whole lot. For the future, though, it, it may be more people willing to try it. But the thing about marijuana, it's really one of those things that people that don't do it, don't do it. They just don't. And people that do, you know, they they do. But I don't, it's not like alcohol where these accidents happen 
and it's like uh, it was marijuana related. That that those numbers would have been reported if if that was a legitimate concern. Somebody. I, I thought I heard in Colorado though. I thought I heard that those numbers did spike in Colorado. I, I could be wrong. They may have. Um, I don't know that, but I and I heard something about that uh, in Colorado. Um, you know, that's why we had to Google here. But uh, <laughs> I don't think it's it's to any significant degree. And I don't, like, even growing up with my friends, I know people who got into accidents related to alcohol, you know, myself included. I was 18 and doing way too much. See, they tell you about alcohol, it impairs your uh, mechanical skills. That's true, it does. But most people can still you know, point in a straight line when you're some when you're somewhat intoxicated. When you can't see clear, you can't see clear, so you can't point straight. But nobody talked told us in school like alcohol make you tired. So when we see those pictures of what's called starburst, which is when the head hits the windshield and it's a little burst, that's typically somebody running into something pretty fast because they fell asleep due to alcohol, not because they were just driving and didn't notice the wall coming up, but they were awake. I, and that's, you know, what that's what it was with me at 18. I, I lived on 102nd, I was coming from 80th, 90th, I'm in the tree, you know? <laughs> this is, it, 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 but up until that time, I was in between the lines, you know, but that's uh, just another part of it that, that I think, um, and, and maybe the, the sleeping, you know, it may increase that, you know, people getting high and going to sleep behind the wheel. That I could see as a legitimate concern. Um, and that's what I think children need to be taught. As much as it alters you, it makes you sleepy. And that's the true danger behind the wheel. Um, and so, uh, so that's how I look at it. But ultimately, I don't think the, um, what, what, what is it? The, the proliferation mm -hmm. of marijuana is is going to cause many problems. And the one thing we do have to account for is that, um, and a uh, PTSD is a real thing. Uh, if you don't, and the, the thing about PTSD, damn near everybody that went to prison suffers from it because what you saw while you're in there. Everybody who's been to a murder victim's funeral suffers from it to a certain degree, even whether you were there to see it or not. Like, you know somebody else murdered? Like, you should you should never know someone who was murdered. You should go from cradle to the grave. You should know people, oh, he died in a car accident. She died from a heart attack. He died from cancer. But murdered? That shouldn't happen. But we got people 15 years old and been to three, four murder victim funerals. It's a lot of PTSD. and. If, from what I understand about in the studies, there's not much greater to help soothe the symptoms of PTSD. Uh, and But I understand why it was banned in the, when you look back, like, man, if you want to control somebody's body, you know, and you can't have them smoking weed. Because, you know, they get to thinking. Because this thing, you a slave, you sitting there, you, you can drink, and people drink, get up, go to work. But you sitting there high, like, y'all do you want to do this? I ain't, I ain't finna work. <laughs> <laughs> y'all can't smoke that stuff. Y'all can do this. 
<laughs> get to free in your mind too much. I, I understand that's probably a lot of where it came from. It's like we can't control you if you're smoking this stuff, you know. Um, and we also have to acknowledge there's, there's side effects. Like the biggest side effect with marijuana is being lazy. That's the biggest thing. Like when Afro Man came out with that song, Because I Got High, my mom heard it was like, man, they need to play this song everywhere. Like this is what kids need to know about marijuana. It's like you will have your day planned and get high and be okay with not doing anything on your list because you high. And then when you come down, oh, damn, I didn't do nothing. And yeah. then you get high again because <laughs> so it's like, let me go a, back. A teachable moment as opposed to yeah. not necessarily the promotion of yeah, the, the activity. Yeah. Let's get into the election uh, again. The, the Saturday prior to the election, you had stated to me and some other individuals that you felt a change was coming. Why did you feel that? And did you know, did you just have a feeling that President-elect Trump was going to be elected? I, I did have a feeling. I'm happy that you're on record saying that because some people <laughs> just never want to give you credit. Like, <laughs> be like, man, you ain't caught that. Nobody saw that coming. I'm like, well, but the, what it was for me is that no, all these Hillary supporters around South LA, nobody could tell me why except she was better than Trump. Once I got to looking at that, I'm like, there's gonna be a bunch of people like me. I cannot vote for this person. I did not vote for either one. I couldn't, you know, the, with Trump, even though I felt he would win, and I don't think he's as bad as he made himself out to be. Because he took that route, I couldn't vote for him. You know, had he been more of who he's been in these last couple of weeks, I probably would have voted for him. Yeah, um, he seemed to, to mellow out. Yeah, yeah so. it's like, but he knew what his crowd wanted, and he gave it to him. And for that, you know, I, as the the political scientist or well, as the, the defense attorney who sometimes has to do a little magi magic, you know, you make my, make this situation, make what you saw represent something else than what you actually saw. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have to do that. And so I could appreciate that part of his campaign, but the, not everybody's, um, and I, I may even argue that most people are not, uh, able to separate the two, the, the rhetoric from the reality. And that's what was so dangerous about it. So now he has a job to, I think, reel that back in and bring people back, let them know, like, yeah, you're, you're white and you... I think, man, I, I really want to live in America where a white man can say, I'm white and I'm proud, and not be looked at as a racist. I really want to live in that. Now, the the... the why do they feel that they can't say that? Well, because white has all white and proud has always been like to the detriment of someone else. And so if we could stop that, you know, you just be proud of being white. You could always support white businesses. Fine, that is your problem. Just don't come burn down our Black Wall Street when we have it. That's I don't think we would have had any problem. I don't even think there would have ever been a Brown v. Board of Education if separate but equal was really equal. 
I talked to a lot of people from that day, and they were like, man, I was not trying to be around white folks. I ain't like them. And you, you white folks are all on record saying how they feel about black people. So it was, it was just, you know, when the white kids at the public school are getting $10 a day and the black kids at the public school are getting $1 a day, that's not fair, you know, but get them the same amount. We, we'd probably be more integrated than we are now because it would have happened organically. Um, but, so, but as far as Trump, the, the reason why I felt is that one thing was political correctness. It was time to, to take a back seat. You know, there, there's definitely a place for political correctness. Um, like I was just uh, at a mental health clinic and it was um, memory difficulty was the term that they were using to describe various mental ailments. Um, but specifically those like uh, being senile or Alzheimer's, things that actually like, you know, have people not being able to recall things. Um, and that's, you know, that's a cool term. So in that situation, it's like, yeah, that's, that's a good way to explain it. And political correctness is, is, it has achieved its goal. But, you know, when it's like, man, I don't like her. Oh my God, you're a sexist. Or, or, you know, when I'm opening the door, I can get it for myself. I, I'm a, like, th that took it too far. And I knew the, the Hillary campaign was, was big on the political correctness. And, you know, you shouldn't like Donald Trump because he said this, do this. And I know because of that and because of the, the media attention that got, that people received for not being politically correct forced a lot of people to hide their true feelings. You can speak your truth in the ballot box, though. And that's why I'm like, I, that was the, the political correctness was the biggest thing for me. And then afterwards, I started realizing, man, what, what in Hillary's campaign did she do to go after housewives? She just felt they were going to vote for her because she's a woman. Just because she's a woman when a lot of those housewives don't look at, a, like, they don't want a woman president. Like, you have to convince them because, you know, they're like, they like the thought of the man being the head of the house. And Hillary, like, Margaret Thatcher, you remember, uh, she made, I remember a comment that got a lot of attention over here about her making her, her husband a sandwich. Um, when, when she was the prime minister. And I was like, wow, Hillary never said anything like that, like anything about being a wife and, and the, what being a strong wife does, the fact that you're not just at home baking cookies. And I think she made some comment about she could have been at home baking cookies, but she decided to do otherwise. So, but, you know, why like, you're... Like that was a bad thing, right? Yeah, like, well, but while you're baking cookies, you're planning the family vacation, you're rearranging the house, you're uh, tending to the sick child in the other room, you're doing all these, you're a stylist, a chef, an accountant, a CEO, you're all these things. And uh, there's portions of our society that would say that's a dated view of a woman. Now, my mom is 
she, she went to Ghana and learned how to make peanut butter stew. And I like it. That's my favorite. That's the only thing I, in the last 10 years I've ever requested her to cook. My mom peanut butter stew. Yeah. Never heard of it. Not that one in the kitchen. She's just not. <laughs> I don't think just because she's a woman, she should be relegated to the kitchen because that's what women do. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is she shouldn't look down on her sister who is, uh, and she doesn't, but you know, th that type of woman shouldn't look down on this traditional, for lack of a better term, woman who looks for, who as a child, what she wanted to be was a mother and a wife before a doctor, lawyer, anything. And I look at uh, the year be after me at Howard Law, um, the number one person in the class was Teresa Henderson. Um, She's now uh, Teresa Bingham, or Henderson Bingham, I'm not sure. Either way, she married one of my boys who was in her year. He was like top 10, 15%, but she's number one. It's okay. like 150 people in the class. Currently, he works for Microsoft and does things like when uh, LAUSD was gonna have like iPads for everybody, then they switched over to MacBook Pros. He oversaw those negotiations to make that happen so we got to hang out while he was out here so he does stuff like that makes a good living we always laugh because he's like oh we spending bill gates money <laughs> 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 but uh it's like she's a housewife now they have two children um and she left the firm after like about three years they had their son and you know she loves it from what i understand she obviously doesn't have to she just, you know, somebody would pick her up right now, but she felt the best way to uh, contribute to society and her family was to be at home while the children are small. Should, should she be looked down on for that, you know, or should she be celebrated that she was willing to sacrifice some money for her family? Like, what, what are our values really in this country? And Hillary represented the kind of change I think that we, yes, we want a society where a woman can be president, but we don't want to elect somebody just because she's a woman. And I think she played that card just far too much, and that turned people off. Um, so, and I, but I was turned off on her just like, I didn't think she did a good job as Secretary of State. And that's, you know, like the best pre-president job I think you can have <laughs> because you're, the face of the country basically so or at least one of the best pre-president jobs so when you don't do that well at that point like i don't know anybody in the nfl like man you're a horrible offensive coordinator so let me give you this head coaching job over here i just don't think it works like that and then you know i they also got killed on those uh emails, emails. and that comment about the deplorables like you know, these people, it, that's basically her saying there's no legitimate reason why anybody will vote for Donald Trump. And to not acknowledge that half the country feels a certain type of way is problematic for a president. And whereas Hillary didn't do much to reach out to Donald Trump's base, whereas Donald Trump was like, come talking to black people, like, look, 
and we're going to clean up these streets. <laughs> he might not have said it the best way because he obviously doesn't have a whole lot of experience talking to black people. But when you really broke down and didn't let anybody tell you what he was saying and how it was racist, but listen to what he was saying for itself, it's like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, I would, that'd be beneficial. Yeah. Um, so that's what I what I think it was. But Hillary, the reason I said that before um, is because I, I didn't find anybody that could convince me to vote for, except yeah. had the election been within an hour of Michelle Obama's speech at the DNC, she would have won. <laughs> she would have won. Riled up at that point. Yeah. So you mentioned some things that we might see some some changes uh, what do you think will be some of the biggest differences um, from the past eight years under the Obama administration um, biggest differences I think we can expect as much as possible um, reductions in entitlements uh, I do think it is the most amazing thing that we have a country that can feed you and house you when you're down and out. That is a beautiful thing about America. I remember when Hurricane Katrina hit, we got this, they had this camp, it was like called Camp Liberty or Camp Federal, some, it was one of those FEMA camps. and. Um, well, I'm sitting, they're telling us about how horrible it is and all the conditions that people are living in. And this was, when I went down there, it was 2007. Um, so Katrina was 2005, and you know, if you go down there now, there's still some things that need to be rebuilt. But this was just a couple years after Katrina. So we're going down there, alternative spring break, help build houses and do some potential legal work on this camp that was, people were being treated badly. So. You know, we get to the camp and everybody has trailers and then there's some of the trailers with like, you know, the direct TV and then you go in and it's heat and it's AC and it's like, oh, these are the poor people that got displaced. We're able to care for them like this. It's a beautiful thing and that really taught me something about, you know, those, just those liberal activists that's like, oh, we're just fighting against the government so wrong and they doing this and like some of y'all just be arguing sometimes and they're also talking about that non-profit game because you know Habitat for Humanity I, they, when they talked about the money they had raised versus the 30 houses they had built I was it didn't add up to me in my mind I'm like this is New Orleans you know $50,000 we got a brand new nice house why we got 30 houses built and it's a million dollars raised. I, I couldn't put those two together, but it, it just really let me know that um, we, we're, we're a great nation when we can, when our poor, when poor people can go through a disaster like Katrina and we can have them take hot showers. That's a wonderful thing, some, something we should be proud of. Um, but I also manage a low-income property uh, apartment building, and I realize there's able-bodied people that don't work just because if they did, their government aid would be cut off, and that's problematic. Um, so I, where I think the change is going to come 
in those entitlements. But I, I don't think people are going to say, oh, the government isn't giving me no more money. I'm going to die. I think they're going to work. And But when you, you can't cut the entitlements without bringing in opportunities for them to get it for themselves. I'm 100% if it's like, all right, for every Section 8 voucher that gets taken away, a job opens up that that person can do and make enough money to remain living where they are. I don't have any problem with that. Um, but it's basically entitlements. I think our, our view around the world, uh, the way people look at us, Donald Trump has, has a lot of work to do to improve his global image. That, you know, I think when we go overseas, though, it won't be the same respect for our American passport that we once had or, you know, had even under the Obama administration. Um, so that's something for people to consider. Now, the beauty in that about being black is, you know, we aren't the image of the stupid American that, you know, they talk about overseas. Like, we everybody know our story, so we get, you know, sometimes more love overseas than we get here, so it's a little different for us when we travel. And I had to realize that. Like, I went to Rio, and, like, the white people were just nervous. And I wasn't nervous at all, because I'm like, if I don't say nothing, they don't know I'm not one of these same poor people walking around, so they ain't looking to rob me. Cause I I wear the same shoes they wear, and I don't have no jewelry on nothing, and it was it was it was nice, but that overseas and you know I think uh, I think also in in a society change going back to political correctness, you're gonna have a lot more people feeling a lot more empowered to say exactly what's on their mind, which also can be a good thing, but it it will cause some growing pains. We will definitely experience some growing pains, but. America spoke loud and clear about what it views in this election mm -hmm. and, um, and, 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 and what it feels. And I think it's important um, for us to do that. And maybe under a Trump administration, we can start having some truth and reconciliation talks. Uh, maybe he won't mind bringing it up um, and, and having those discussions and putting it out there on the forefront. Uh, and that's what South Africa did. And I think racially, they're advancing much more than we are um, because everybody put it out there on the line. Them people who were head of the apartheid regime had to sit there and listen face to face what the, their policies did to people, how it broke up families and everything it did. And it, 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 it helped. So I'm hoping, but um, other side of that is all our fears could come true. <laughs> you know, it could be like the rise of white supremacy again. It could be the the law and order, and you know, the, the military state. All of that could happen as well. So I'm just hoping and praying, and, and not just hoping and praying, working to, to do things to make sure that uh, that doesn't happen. But I actually believe, my strongest belief is that the entrepreneur will see an increase under this administration. Yeah, true. One of the differences that I thought you might mention, um, President-elect Trump says that he will definitely nominate some Supreme Court justices that would try to overturn um, yeah. Roe, Roe versus, versus Wade. Wade. Yeah. So 
how meaningful is is that and um but on the other hand he didn't want to touch the laws on the books about the same-sex marriages because he says because that's already on the books so something we don't know we don't know because i'm 100 maybe donald trump has never had an abortion but i'm pretty sure at some point something happened something happened (laughs) 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 but baby he does have a lot of kids but he was married three times. I don't know how many kids yeah. per wife, but um, I don't know that he's what he's gonna do in that regard. I'm not sure he knows what goes into picking a Supreme Court justice just yet. I think it's something you can learn, but I'm not sure <laughs> yet that he actually fully understands what he wants to do. Like we have to remember, this is a campaign that started because a man got clowned at a press, was it the White House press dinner or whatever it was, the uh, press correspondence, and the whole room was laughing at him. Yeah. And that's what causes, it wasn't like, uh, I need to do something for my country. So we really don't know, but that Supreme Court is big, but I don't think, you know, he also is going to want Supreme Court justices that are going to allow him to do what he does. And his kids to continue to do and do what he had been doing, so that's something to consider. Um, and I think his his and so his Supreme Court justices, I believe, will be commerce, and how they feel about that is going to be his main uh, factor on who he chooses. Roe v. Wade. I think there was more one of those things he had to say to get elected. So you can't run on the Republican side and not be adamantly against uh, abortion. And I actually see I got some friends out in Colorado Springs, um, and they that that was I don't like either one of them, but I can't support somebody that's gonna kill the babies. Yeah, that's what they said. He also said on numerous occasions that he would want to see Hillary Clinton prosecuted. Uh, so, number one, do you concur? Do you, because you mentioned some things that she didn't do um, as Secretary of State. So, do you concur with that statement that she should be prosecuted? Um, do you think he will try to get her prosecuted? Number two. And number three, do you think? President Obama should pardon Hillary before he leaves office, just to protect her if that does happen. I'm not sure he can pardon her. I, I heard he. I heard. Uh, I, I heard that he could. So we're gonna. Uh, we're gonna but presume let's say that he, right. he can. Yes. Um, question number one: No, I don't think she should be prosecuted. I think um, the what the FBI said, it was basically it was a bonehead move. I wouldn't have done it, but I don't think it was malicious and we didn't find anything that was, you know, classified that came through. Now, if that changes, that may change that uh, evaluation. But no, I don't think she should be prosecuted. Uh, they should change some, po- they should make some clear and direct policies based off of this. Um, two, I don't think Trump would actually do it. I think it was another one of those no, I'm just talking stuff. Just grandstanding. Yeah. And <laughs> three, 
I don't think old Obama should either. Now, the other thing about Trump, there's a big, there's like the, the, the truth on 9-11 movement is gaining more and more momentum. Um, there was a movie that was made, uh, oh, I forgot the name of it, but it was, that movie wasn't on 9-11, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, that was something you else. You can Google it as you. <laughs> yeah, but no, I was, I was tripping, it was all on that same conspiracy theory thing, because yeah. You know, I got questions on why we've had technological advances in every other aspect, but we went to the moon 50 years ago and can't seem to find our way back. I have that alone caused me to have questions, but then 9 11, I'm like, I've seen the video now and I still didn't see a plane hit the Pentagon. So if that's the case, you know, and that movement grows and makes enough noise, will Donald Trump do that investigation? Will hmm. will he lead that, and and what would that come to? I don't think anyone on this earth would survive leading an investigation on 9/11, um, because if you're bold enough, it, let's say it was an inside job, you're bold enough to take a rocket to the Pentagon, you are bold enough to do anything you can to not, you know, have to deal with that. But I, I think that is something, because if we're talking about science, um, as far as those towers, their size relation to planes and how they imploded, you know, there's, there's, that's something I was thinking about, like that investigation, what would he do with that? And does he have a vested interest? Would, would he want to look? I don't know. We, and that's the exciting part is that it's a real, Deal, wild card. I've never seen this before politically. Like, what's gonna happen? Um, but I don't think he's gonna prosecute Hillary. I think that was just the rhetoric. So you mentioned 9/11. So let's stay there um, because obviously in America we have this great social divide right now, especially on social media. So you you talked about um, being able to be. Um, less politically correct in our expressions. Obviously, people are doing that online. Mm -hmm. um, so just how divided are we as a nation? And why does it take something like 9-11 to really bring us together as a nation? Why, why does it have to take something of that magnitude to, to when we are just, now we are united? Well, I think because there's, there's a certain level of uh, complacency that sets in um, to a nation, to anybody that sits at number one for a long time, you know. It's, it's hard to maintain that, that spot for a long time because it's, you know, so much comfort in the number one position. and. I say that because I don't, we're on issues that actually relate to the overall security of United States citizens. We're, I don't think there's a big divide on that. Our divides are on things that should, like abortion is a huge deal, right? But I don't think it's the kind of thing that should uh, tear a country apart. But that's one of the greatest issues that we're divided on. It has come up in every election that I can recall. Like, 
what's your view on abortion is a consistent question to presidential candidates. Um, the other divide is obviously the racial divide. Now, 9-11, it, it brought us together because, you know, it, it made us all have a common enemy. I don't think we need that to come together, but um, I do think we need to be, I, I think this honesty would, would bring us together a little bit. Because when you, you listen to people and what they have to say, like the family of the McIntyre family out in Colorado Springs, I was talking to the dad and he was telling me about how Planned Parenthood was started to uh, decrease the black population and all of this and, you know, abortions are evil. And I took more like the Tupac philosophy, like we need more abortions, <laughs> like it's people out here recklessly creating life and all that's doing is filling our prisons um, and I never looked at Planned Parenthood as like something started to reduce the black population that thought had never crossed my mind Planned Parenthood has always been viewed as a good thing in our community and then when you actually do the research you realize there's some real validity to this point this white dude in Colorado Springs ain't just saying this because and that opened up my eyes to a whole different view on abortion. Didn't change my mind, but it opened up my eyes. And I could see the wheels turning in his face when he was like, he, he never thought about like abortion from that perspective. And I didn't change his mind, but he had just never thought about it from that perspective. But had we not both spoken our mind in that conversation, neither of our views would have been expanded. So I do think, um, you know, we will, one of the benefits of uh, less political correctness and more open dialogue will be us finding out how much we are alike. And uh, I'm sure you, you know, uh, it's in and around the OC, like the, whoever lives on your block, you want the same for your kids that they want for their kids, whether they're Asian, Hispanic, white, whatever. So we're, we're really not that divided, but there's no drama in not being divided. So CNN, which is an entertainment network and not a news channel, and I challenge everybody to look up what CNN is classified as on your, your, your direct TV or whatever. And it's going to be entertainment, not news. And they'll have channels that are classified for news, but CNN isn't one of them. So ain't no, ain't no drama in that. Mm. How can you sell unity? You know, it's, you need a divide. Reality TV, you, you need a fight on the, the commercials so everybody will tune in and watch and see the fight because that's what people want. And we just have to do a better job at not letting art imitate life and... Uh, that's what, or life imitating art is what I meant to say. And that's what I think we do a lot is just have these divides because we see people, yeah, oh, that's CNN, that's how they debate. We're supposed to yell when every day in Washington you have people from both sides of the aisle sitting down, having dinner, cordial conversations, coming to conclusions, making deals. It's just not promoted. You know, that's not, it's not sexy. <laughs> it's, yeah. So. But a lot of what we need to do as a society, I think, is uh, relieve the uh, media's 
mass media's uh, influence, uh, but that goes back to the homes. Like yes. you, and if you don't have no daddy, and you just and your mom don't care, and you figured out I could put my kid in front of the TV for three hours and they'll be quiet. That's that's not helpful, I think, to our society. But it is what is going on. Yeah. Another thing we didn't mention that could be imminent change. Who knows how long it would take? The the would be wall, or it, it's been downgraded to a fence now. I hear. <laughs> so so. That's what I'm telling you, <laughs> this dude was so, full of it. And so, he won. so obviously you don't even think that's going to happen. That's no, just one of his talking points again. Is, I don't think the wall is going to. Mexico certainly ain't paying for it. Um, but from what I did understand, though, you know, not that long ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago now, you know, you had an American, you had a California ID all down through Mexico, no problems. From now, you know, you need a passport. It was my, what I was told was that uh, Mexico started that, and then we made them do it. I always thought it was the other way around. Um, so... And, you know, Mexico does have an interest in keeping, you know, those people that come to Mexico just to get involved in the drugs, you know, out. If the cartels are down there and you come in, there's no uh, market for the cartels to sell their product, you know, there's, is that would be beneficial for the Mexican government to get more control. That's not to say they don't have control, because I just, you know, we don't get positive Mexican news on American TV. <laughs> you know, we only get uh, the mayor of this town that was going after the cartels got shot and killed. Well, something else happened in Mexico, man. It's like a hundred some million people down there. Something else good happened, but it's, it's not going to be talked about. But I don't think there's going to be a wall. Um, but I do think on the, the issue of relations with Mexico, I do think it is important that people remember, man, that the Mexican-American War wasn't that long ago. And because of that, there are, there's a, the, the, Mex, the issue with Mexicans more so than any other, and I don't lump Latinos all together, I'm talking about Mexicans, is that uh, they, um, like a lot of people feel this should still be Mexico, the land we're in right now should still be Mexico is Mexico and because of that that's a different uh, that's a different position from the black community saying this is our home we deserve equal rights in our home and you saying what you're calling it you stole this land it should be Mexico that's totally different right because ours our buck is still going to stop in America those that view this as America, as Mexico, or it should be Mexico, they don't want the buck to stop in Mexico. So that's something that the U.S. has to consider. Now, are we mad at the people? The border crossed their family a bunch of times. So are they necessarily wrong in their beliefs? Um, you know, it's because it's, it's kind of like, well, the reason I say yeah is because if you're talking about, like, like if we're talking about Spanish speakers versus English speakers, then I feel like it's all up for grabs because it's all European languages. <laughs> you know, n nobody's speaking European languages. So if that's what you're going for, then it's whoever just wins. But if that is the rules, we have to understand that 
there's going to be a faction believing those are the rules, constantly getting ready to win that battle to get it back. So that's something that we have to consider on on this side of the country more so than any other parts because you know the Native Americans they don't have the power that a Mexico has you know they can't go to war with the US and have any reasonable possibility of winning and Mexico may not have any reasonable possibility of winning but they do have a bunch of people and that's something if if we're talking about that so those are things to consider uh, and you know this rhetoric certainly incited a lot a spark in the Latino community now is that sp what is that spark though is it the spark to get California Mexico again or is it the spark to get Latinos the respect they deserve in this country that's something that you know the Latino community is going to have to figure out because I'm sure it's some who align and make coalitions although because both issues would benefit Latinos but this group is the make California Mexico again and this group is the let's get our rights here in California in the, in the United States so that's something and, and what was it uh, maybe 2005 2006 they had the big May Day parade and it was the police came and hitting people with rubber bullets and all the, the craziness and like no, not a bunch of like I know the reason I didn't feel bad is because when I panned that crowd all I saw was Mexican flags like it no US flag why are you waving a Mexican flag asking what are you ask what are you asking for if that's mm -hmm. the flag that you're flying what are you asking for make California Mexico again and, and that's <laughs> so it's like okay that I'm not necessarily for that because you know, black people ain't just all love in Mexico either. <laughs> yeah. You know it. So, uh, so there could be, even without a wall, obviously you brought up a lot of good points. Will there be more deportations than of the ones that are here undocumented know. and illegally? Do you think that will they really go after that and enforce that and if so are do have you ever practiced immigration law would that be no i i did not i don't um i have friends that do uh it's lucrative for them because most of us think of immigration law like mexicans getting kicked over the border that's one significant part of it mm -hmm. in los angeles but yes. you know you got Chinese billionaires trying to buy property over here exactly yeah so that's they need an immigration attorney and you know can their they their corporation needs a immigration you know so those those are issues that I was like cause I'm like man how do y'all make money in this field and oh it's not just poor people trying to immigrate mm -hmm. to America yeah. um, but the other thing we have to really think and I think a lot of Trump supporters probably didn't take into account like how many of these folks really want to have that labor group cut off? Do you really want to come back to us, black Americans? Because we're not taking those wages. We, we can work hard. Obviously, if this is the country that 
was built on our backs, we can build some great things. We're just not going to work for those wages. So is that what you really want? And the, those Trump-type people who are always looking for the discount, uh, is that what he's really going to do? I Probably don't believe not. it. Exactly. So when you actually look at it, like, I don't believe it. And who in these United States is kicking down doors to pick strawberries? Not many. But give them 20 an hour, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll be out there picking strawberries all day for Let's 20 hours. Exactly. Here's a little just off-topic question, because I asked you, do, do you practice immigration law? And obviously the, the answer to that is no. But why do we use the word practice when it comes to law and medicine, when practice con connotes that you're learning as you go? or That's oh, oh. exactly what we're doing, man. <laughs> you look around here, all right, man. Uh -huh. These are the just California forms of pleading and practice. All these forms, that you can't learn all this stuff, man. This is, and the issue for client A is in this book, and the issue for client B is in one of those books up there, and it's like, I'm not necessarily sure, you know, this is, this is what I read, and this is, but I've never done this before. And you do, you end up doing that a lot. I mean, most, like, uh, in my criminal practice, um, you know, uh, DUI may be the number one cases that I, I get. Um, and then after that, you know, I've had a few robbery clients, um, firearm possession, a few of those. Uh, so firearm possession, burglary, robbery, DUI are probably the, the, the top um, crimes that are alleged that my client, and, and drug sales, it was a, a little while that the war on drugs, you know, kept my lights on. <laughs> so uh, I, I look at those, and those are the issues that that we're facing um, in our in our community. Uh, I'm sorry, we I got off track with the uh, talking about those particular areas. Tell mm -hmm. me the we were just talking about how. You practicing law and oh, you, yeah. you, so, you just can't know it so, all. So yeah, so you get these and so those I can do. But then you get like, you know, illegal stock trading. I've never had anybody that got caught illegally stock trading before, so I have to figure this out as I'm going. And that's uh why it's called a practice. And you know, in medicine it's like, man. I thought that was a tour. <laughs> Be like, Doc, you said this was it. Well, you know, we thought. But that's why we call it a practice. Because yeah. that's what we over here doing. And yeah. you really never know, man. And even if you do know, you don't know how the jury's going to vote. So that's what it all comes down to, man. It's mm -hmm. been attorneys. They might be smarter than me, sharper than me, all of that. But can you relate better to these 12 people? That's what it all boils down to. And, I mean, I've, I've lost that battle sometimes on the relation. Um, so, man, that's another reason why what, at least what we do is, is the practice of it because you cannot perfect it. There's, you Love cannot that. perfect this. I always wondered why they use that term. Yeah. 
man. We you, can't like your professor. You you've perfected the art well, I of style. <laughs> you know, you got would, that down. The rest of us say is that practicing. either. Um, there's some remakes sometimes. <laughs> uh, you you said, um, for example, certain area law. You you've never done it before. So I thought of I ain't never did this before. The the rap song. So, um, what's your favorite rap lyric? Hopefully you have one. And and why? Favorite rap lyric. Um, I know you like that rap game, and I, do. I know it's, you mentioned Drake sometimes to me, it, it, and how it, much you respect him. But yeah, but it, it's any the, off the top uh, of your head. What's crazy is that there's there's a few, but the one that comes to my head is Jay Z in the song H to the Izzo, where he said, "Pay us like you owe us for all the years that you hold us. We could talk, <laughs> but money talks, so talk more bucks." That is the reason I identify with that so much is like, that's it. Like, that's what we want. That's what we have to demand as, a, as, as black people in this country. That's what we have to demand. Pay us what you owe and we'll be fine. But we, and we'll do the work. You know, we, we gotta do the work. I, I do think we do need to get back to uh, promoting doing the work and how significant it is but that lyric is like that's that's what so many of us want you know because because that's when you get the respect so does that mean to to you does that mean reparations or does that mean i just want to be able to get paid as much as this other I'm, counterpart I'm yeah i don't don't i mean what what is the now old? reparations man that's i Obviously, you you shooting it to me. I'm taking it. I'm I'm, I'm not turning down <laughs> reparations, but I'm not. I haven't figured out in my mind yet how a successful plan for reparations would be carried out. Um, if I was I was thinking about it not that long ago, I was like, if I was on the other side of it, I'd be like, well. All them cats on Section 8 and food stamps is your reparations, but that's then flipping <laughs> back. I had to, I do this in my head all the time, so then flipping on the other side, I'm like, well, everybody got that qualified, got that. That wasn't specific for black people, so what is it going to be? And then when you actually look at the numbers, you know, percentage-wise, we may be higher, but overall, we're we're not. Um, so I, I look at it, I don't know about reparations, but when I think of that, for me, it's it's not reparations, it's for going forward it's like you gotta now you it's like Michael Jordan one I looked it up when he first won the championship he made 1.2 million that year and Scottie Pippen made 700,000 so these last four years I'm gonna pay for you I'm gonna work for you you're gonna pay me like a hundred million total because you owe me for everything that I did and this is what I'm actually worth and nowadays players are getting paid with their worth because Michael Jordan said, you finna pay me like I'm worth. And so that's what I look at it. I, I never wanna forget the past. I am a avid reader of history. Uh, I look at it, I study it, um, not to dwell on it, but because it's like, you don't have to be a psychic. Like a historian is probably a better predictor of the future than anybody. Why? Because this is what we do. We're human beings. We're not too much different from our 
ancestors 2,000 years ago. They still was trying to get this girl, like those stories of, you know, loving one woman and her having two lovers, uh, was that Mark Anthony and Cleopatra and all, these are a thousand years ago, the same issue still going on. So we're, we're not that different. And I don't want a handout, but, I, and I would be perfectly fine with reparations being just leave us alone. Like let us build our communities. You know, Black Wall Street was born, burned down in the 20s. We should have had 90 years of growth of that. What, what would that have looked like today if we still had an economic base? And, and the one in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was just one. You know, Rosewood was a little base down in Florida. What if that would have been able to grow into the town? You know, city of Los Angeles is not the, the same town it was when my father was born. There was no 110 freeway and City Hall was the highest building in downtown. What if that never got to grow and flourish? There, there was no LA Live, you know, there was no bank district downtown now. We don't know what Los Angeles would have been. All I want is that opportunity for, for black America uh, to be able to create that for ourselves um, and you know, and but I do. What I will say is that the the although America has a duty to, I believe, um, help us achieve that, the work is still on us, and it has to be on us. And if we ever look to somebody else to give us anything besides maybe an opportunity, uh, that's problematic, and I don't think it'll get us far. But yeah, that's that's my lyric, and the other one that I thought up. Is uh was the Tupac? Uh, man, pussy is paper poetry, power of pistols. That it was just so. I was like, man, that was dope how he did that. Just the 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 P's just all the way, just <laughs> the the straight. And it's pussy is paper poetry. Yeah, pussy is paper. It's some poetry to go power of pistols. It was like. Uh, Five words, man. It was real deep, cause that's pretty much what runs the world, you know. The the pistols and and well, that's the reason why people use pistols yeah. <laughs> is uh, uh, power and women is oftentimes what pistols are being used for. That's yeah. the the start of it. So uh, yeah, but that that lyric, "Pass like you owe us for all the years that you hold us." That, that I think I, I, I really identify with that. Right. Another question that I, and you know, we're going out an hour and a half here, but oh, you man. know, this, this is so good. Time flies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, th this is a new question that I've been asking the last few times. So are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. That said, do you think you're right-brained or left-brained? All right, you gotta tell me the- Right-brained is the creative side and the left one is the analytical side which one am i because <laughs> i have left brain is analytical uh-huh so i professionally i have to be left brain but i would say right brain because that's that creativity with my analysis is what gets me to my success rate in, in trials and whatnot is being able to think of things and look at things differently but it still has to be 
you know, add up somewhat, you know. But I, I would say I'm more so the creative type. I'm, I'm always thinking of things. Uh, like, for instance, I was in a club in Johannesburg last year and looked up and they were playing some, you know, YG. And they played like three or four DJ Mustard songs back to back. And I looked up, it was a couple guys had on Crooks and Castle t-shirts. And I'm like, that's a L.A. designer. I'm in Johannesburg, they're playing L.A. music with L.A. designers. Like, dang, we connected. So I came in my mind like, man, we should have a big thing, bring like, you know, a few hundred people from L.A. out here. And then I'm like, nah, man, this could be massive. So I'm actually in the process of trying to, uh, or in the process of organizing a trip. The ultimate goal of it would be to create direct economic relationships with black people in the Americas and black people in Africa. Uh, kind of cut out the middleman type thing. Um, I feel it would be beneficial to, and, and I feel it's necessary for us because we are the group in America. You know, Koreans are from Korea. Mexicans are from Mexico. Black people, ain't no black land. So, okay, we're African-Americans. So, okay, that means we're from Africa, right? Koreans and Korea have a tight connection. They doing most of their business with Korean-Americans or Korea. Mexicans, the same. Uh, Israeli Jewish people, the same. We are the only, even white people. All the business we do with Europe, all these Mercedes Benzes rolling around here, and BMWs and Jaguars, all these, this is doing business with Europe. We are the one group that, in no mass connect, mass way, does business with the homeland of where our people came from before they got here to America. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that limits us. You know, there's funding sources. Like, we forget Nigeria is a member of OPEC, the oil-producing and exporting countries. We always think of the Middle East, but Nigeria got good oil, and they're, they're part of that. What if we became the, the, the firms and the companies by which you had to purchase that oil through? You know, all the, the there's uh, West African countries that have the comparative advantage uh, in cotton. You know, they can grow it and real good cotton, but, you know, how can they get it to the market? Well, out of all the black people on the world, who, which black group of black people has mastered the business practices and the global marketing strategies the way of black Americans? You won't find another group. And now we connected by blood lineage to a continent that has all the resources and we got all the know-how mm -hmm. and there's no bridge right there but in that moment i was like hip-hop this is what it is we're going to use music and fashion so i wrote it up um it's basically uh, at this point it's just the global african initiative and the goal is to uh in march of 2018 touch down in south africa with at least five thousand black Americans or those who support black Americans entrepreneurial minded um, the goal everybody that went would spend at least two thousand dollars while being in the country so that would show the the 
the quick economic bounce. And what that means is what, 5,000 spending $2,000 is $10 million. Right now it's like 13, 14 to one. So we're talking about 130 million, 140 million Rand being infused into this economy in two weeks, going directly to the people. Because with music and fashion, I can buy my music directly from the artist. I can buy this uh, shirt or this, this jacket directly from the designer. And now we're having direct economic relationships. And the goal would be to have an annual event um, to that end and every year expand the industries that participate and the countries that participate. So starting with South Africa and Black America, um, then you know next year, Nigerians and Brazilians and then the Kenyans and the Haitians and you know so on and so forth. Just knowing though, that's a lot of ego. Like you know that, man, they like, the thing there's in, uh, one of the big differences between Africans and Africa and there's no poverty in America like there is in Africa. There's also no black wealth in America the way it is in Africa. Like mm -hmm. a super rich Nigerian, mm -hmm. Jay-Z and them ain't got nothing on them in the way they do it. And so when they walk in and now we're all in a club in South Africa and the Zulus, this my country, we, the, we that. And then the black Americans, you know, we, we definitely feel we're we're adequate and um, on the top as as far as who we are, and then the Nigerians definitely feel that about themselves. So as do the Ghanaians and the Jamaicans, and you know, Jamaica's a tiny country to have their culture all around the world. That's powerful. So you know, they they gotta they gotta that that means something. But to get us all in the same place for the the goal of uh, doing business together. I, it's, I think it's happened before, but not since, you know, uh, European dominance has taken over the world, but now we have an opportunity to bring it back. And so that's, that's, that's and so that's that creative side. That sounds yeah. exciting, right? Yeah. It's, like I said, so far, everyone's been answering, they're probably a little bit of both. And so you, yeah. you have demonstrated that too. Um, we also always do a, a fill in the blank. But I'm going to do yours a little bit differently because normally it's just fill in the blank and just say the first thing that comes to your mind. But for you, I want you to fill in the blank relative to what you would tell one of your clients that you are defending. Okay? All right. So don't stop blank. Don't stop being quiet. Because you want them to tell you everything. Is that oh, what well, you wait, mean? Or? I, it depends. <laughs> if you're in custody, don't, don't stop being quiet. If you're in my office, secure, don't stop telling me the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, if you, that's our problem is we don't stop talking. And then, you know, uh, all their evidence against you came out of your mouth. Yeah. I hate those situations. Not good. Um, second one, you can blank you can earn a living without selling drugs that's one um, you can resolve a conflict without a gun now what if they feel that that's all that they know 
uh, wh whose job is it to you we can tell them this but whose job is it to educate them to that's better. a tough one, right? Because, you know, we got how, how we meet at the Saturday Science Academy. So we got to educate the kids that we there for, too. So we have to find time to educate the grown men as well. I, I guess we do have that duty because the things that if, if we can improve them, then maybe our children will have less problems growing up. So that that's how. But how do we well this and this is actually the counselor part of my title you know they'll call us counselor mm -hmm. that is something i take really seriously when especially you know i get a young male that i can identify with and that will identify with me and you know usually they're all ears when they do get me because it's like you try to get out of something so finally i'm listening you ain't listening to nobody your whole life but you're finally willing to listen um, I do do anything I can to try and help them if I see them not having a certain understanding of life and how the way things work and realizing, I, I do realize people are actually taught wrong. Like they are actually taught that, you know, robbing is how you get it. Stealing is how you get it. Cheating is how you get it. That is, there are people from all demographics that are taught that. You know, just because you, you ain't no better when you stole from, you know, a, a bunch of people. The, the Enron people ain't no better than my robbery clients. It, they're actually worse because what they did to people, you know, it was in mass. But it's a different scenario because that dude get the same amount of time as, you know, one robbery client. And that's it. He, he the only one. But I... I but the other thing I, I will say is that you do have to show people that because, uh, you know, an adult that doesn't know, they're not really going to listen because if they would have listened some point in their life, they would have known because you can't tell me you went your whole life and nobody told you the right thing. It's just, you know, you you had more exposure to this negative influence than the positive influence. What I found is that you can't tell them anything. You have to show them. You have to, like I had a, I tell this story, uh, 2013 I was coaching the youth football program in South LA. I grew up playing at Baldwin Hills Youth Football and that's where I coached my first three years. Next three years went over to the Nation Titans. We practiced at Augustus Hawkins High School off of uh, Slauson in Vermont. And you know, we started in July. So from July to November, man, we rolling, we winning games, things are good. Every once in a while I come to practice in my suit, I was still, for the most part, working for the public defenders at that time. So every once in a while I come to practice in my suit. Um, and But even with that, man, you know, uh, I came to find out in November, like half the dudes in that program dapped me up, what's up, Coach Harder, did not believe I was an attorney. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just crazy. But the reason they didn't believe I was an attorney is because they felt I was one of them. And there was no way that one of them could be an attorney. Um, and I, you know, hopefully have now shown them that don't stop looking at me as one of you. Just know this is now what one of you can accomplish. Um, but <clears throat> obviously they wouldn't have believed it had they not seen it. And they didn't believe it until one of them dudes caught a case. Yeah. And the, the, 
that's when the, and people I'm like, man, what are we gonna do? Are oh, you the attorney? Oh, well, you know, we ended up getting that case dismissed, but that's what it took for people to actually believe me. Um, so, like I say, what I people, you you gotta show them, you gotta show them, and and the other thing with dealing with this South LA community is uh, in any ghetto, any hood, you, you're dealing with a people that can't trust. All in, in every ghetto around the world, people's trust are violated. There's a bunch of poor people, everybody trying to get a little bit extra. So, you know, you got your crumbs, they just took two of them, now you can't trust them. And this happens all the time, people crumb snatching and now you can't trust. So imagine trying to build a community with nobody that can trust. Now you can't even have a relationship with one person if there's no trust. And now we got a whole community. And he told me straight, I'm like, bro, how, how did you not believe me? It's like, man, my trust has been violated so much. I don't know what to believe. Hmm. I'm like, wow, this is, this is deep. I thought we was just gonna try and work on some Bloods and Crips. Like, no, we gotta work on people understanding what love is. We gotta work on people understanding what trust is. We gotta work like some of these people never had a of solid, trustworthy man. A lot of these young girls, you know, they find a man they think is tr trustworthy and they become vulnerable and now they're being sexually assaulted. And, you know, we, we have to we have to s just show our people. You know, I had to show up and stay there and coach and, you know, now anybody got a problem, my phone is ringing. Yeah, it's, it's no problem. But I had to show them, man. I had to literally show them. I was there for four months, and they didn't believe me when I was telling them. I had to show them. So you are, you're in the community. You are there yeah. to be the example and to show them. So therefore, are there enough individuals like you and myself to be that example for them. Because if, if we don't go to that community, they're probably not gonna they're go not somewhere that's yeah. unknown to them. Because yeah. they don't know. They don't know, and that's the So that's how, how do we get more involvement? Um, I call for each professional, each person I know to do uh, uh, at least 100 hours a year. What we're talking is two hours a, uh, a week. Now, if you coach a sport, you get your whole 100 hours in the season, you know, whatever. So that's one way to get it. But give 100 hours a, a year back. And, and I think that's one way because drug dealer in the hood every day with his nice car, you know, burglar in the hood every day with his gold chain. We I just talked about how we dealing with people who are, are, are people believe what they see, not what they hear. Can't tell them nothing. So the kids are seeing these people every day. That's why they're, that's why they're getting the, 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 the souls that they're getting. That's why they, they have the influence they have because they're there. And so now it's very hypocritical for us to get our degree and say, oh, I got to change corporate America from the inside. How you think you got to change the hood? But at the same time, people want to have peace. 
People don't want them or them children to be around situations where they might catch a stray bullet. This is an actual reality. This is you you when you're in a, a place, and that's the thing, man. When you actually look at the number of people in the hood that's been in prison, that's why a lot of things happen the way they do. Because prison rules are different. You can't talk behind somebody back and the word get back to them, and you and that person not fight. It's not gonna happen. But you know now you around kids and you don't need to come up out here on the field and blow up because you heard this man said something to you. You need to handle it a different way. But when you've been institutionalized to a certain degree, that's why you have a lot of these blow ups in our communities because there's such a high percentage of people in the hood who have been to prison. Um, and it's not everybody. Obviously, people transition better than others. But that's, that's one of the things, man. But I, I really think we have to get our professionals there. People need to know that you exist. There's a lot of young people in the hood just dress fly and, you know, that's a, they got an eye for it. They have no idea what that eye can take them, where that eye can take them. They, they might be on Instagram posts. They might have two or three famous people following when they post to get ideas from their outfits and put it out there like they came up with it. So yeah, and they the, and they're not monetizing it. They're no. just putting up, putting up a post. So yeah. yeah. Um, the last fill in the blank, and you touched upon conversations, but conversations are blank. Conversations are pointless if we're not going to be honest. If if we're going to be politically correct, they're pointless. It's, if I mean not if we're gonna be politically correct over being honest. Mm -hmm. I do think it still has its place. It's just, you know, you can't, if, you, if there's only one way to say something, it's only one way to say it. So if you say it any other way, you're not saying what needs to be said. So I would say a, a conversation is pointless unless we're gonna be honest. Um, and on the same token, assuming that we're being honest, conversation is necessary to move forward yeah a few more yesterday the the officer that shot and killed um Fernando Castillo. Fernando Castillo right um the 32 year old black gentleman he um was charged with the second degree of manslaughter and obviously I'm sure everyone knows the story back in July um the Minnesota police officer Geronimo Yanez um, pulled Castile over. Um, Castile yelled or told him that he had a gun in his possession. And then the officer yelled, um, you know, don't pull it out. And then he opened fire on him. Yeah. Uh, so, and Castile had a permit to, to carry that gun. So how did, how would you I'm gonna flip it on you. How would you defend the officer if he was your client? Um, I was, the officer was my client. Well, for one, you, you won on the fact he's charged with a misdemeanor. So the, the, whatever attorney he had already put in the biggest work because he's only facing a misdemeanor and he took somebody's life. So that's one, and that's what a lot of people need to understand. Like the, the sometimes the, the most significant work I'm gonna do is before the case is ever filed. 
Um, so, but at this point, being his attorney, in that case, um, you know, uh, how do I find it reasonable? The cops' actions. I told him don't reach. I guess the best thing, I told him don't reach, and he reached. Uh, question, did you see a firearm? No, but I didn't want to. He told me he had it, so. Yeah. That's that's you know I, that's what he has to stick to, mm -hmm. to, so is that to win defense protecting himself. Yeah, but I think that's unreasonable if you don't see it. If you first of all you have to trust your training, and you're trained. So if you got your gun out on him and he pulls out what you appear to be a gun, you got every right to pull that trigger. And if he gets to you before you get to him, that's problematic but uh, only time I've heard that happen is with the deputy sheriff in Lancaster or Palmdale out in the Antelope Valley that was recently killed I believe his name was Owens um, that was a sad situation but from my understanding the last call he reported was I got the suspect at gunpoint well, how the suspect got the better of him is you know tough but and that's the thing we don't want cops to just shoot first because somebody could potentially get the better of them we want you to do everything you can to preserve life and that's what I, I don't think the officer um, in the Philando Castile case did I don't think he was thinking about preserving Philando Castile's life and it's, it's funny right that we're giving officer passes for saying they're afraid why the heck did we spend all this money to train you? For you to act on fear? Is there any police academy that teaches acting on fear is right? It's not right. And we cannot accept that based on that notion. Not anything else. You, you, you just told us all of these. I was scared. That's why I shot. How is that acceptable from people that we give all these leeway to because they're the bravest that doesn't make sense to me so you know but that's what I would go with <laughs> even though I disagree with that that's what I would go with yeah. in, in his case yeah I guess it's a point-blank question and then I'll so I'll ask the point-blank question and then I'll give a little history there so the question is, is the election over, results-wise? Um, so there's a Los Angeles attorney. Um, he is a Hillary supporter, and he's suing the 538 members of the uh, Electoral College in a last-ditch effort right, to block President-elect Trump as becoming the president of the United States. So he says the electors votes for Trump's are poised to violate the equal protection component of the Fifth Amendment and the fundamental principle of one person, one vote. So if the members of the Electoral College vote for Trump on December 19th, because that's when it is legitimately over, um, they will effectively cause a single vote for Clinton to be valued less than a single vote for Trump. So thus violating the one person, one vote guarantee. So 
going back to that question, is the election over or is it far from over because we still have December 19th to deal with. So hopefully your constitutional law <laughs> is up to speed and yeah, his, uh, it's the attorney John Burke is his name and is, it, is attorney John Burke, is he accurate in what he's trying to achieve? Um, mm, I would say mm, no, the election is not over because you have people who are going to fight. But I don't think the outcome will change. John Burke, one, I can appreciate the arguments that he's making. But that argument I think is only valid if an electoral college did not exist because what about the one vote one uh, what is it one person one vote in mm -hmm. Michigan in Ohio in North Carolina all these swing states that went that broke for Trump he won those and those part of the country should those representatives not follow their wishes so you know, the popular vote is a, a tough thing because, you know, groupthink is powerful and you got a bunch of people in one part of the country. It's a big country. This is a huge country. And, you know, California, if, if we give up the Electoral College, can, you know, end up doing a lot to, to shift the, the, the pendulum as far as the power of this country just because of the numbers. We, it's like what? At least a third. There's there's definitely eighteen states that you can put together in this these United States whose populations would not equate and add up to the just California. But you know, life in this region is still life in this region. So should we have California voting on the interest of Oklahoma? You know, I, that's the tough thing, the Electoral College. You know, we all have a problem with it when it don't go our way. You know, if Hillary won in the same way that Trump won, no problems from John Burke. Um, and that's the, the question that has to be asked. Would he have filed this case if Hillary won in the same fashion Trump won? And if not, then it's, it's you know, it's not say it's not legitimate, but once something like this happens, you, you got to look forward. Uh, trying to affect the, to change the rules of this election, when from all accounts I've heard it was a fair election, I haven't heard of, I've, I've heard of like voter suppression tactics and techniques and, but for everybody that was registered, I haven't heard like a bunch of people, man, I was registered, here's my registration card and I went up there, my name wasn't on the list. I just haven't heard that. Um, so with that being the case, I don't, I, I, I don't think that there would be any change or I don't even think there's, uh, there, there's a possibility for that lawsuit to um, 
affect the outcome of the presidential election, but I do think it can change things moving forward. If popular vote is where we want to go as a country, then, you know, let's go to the popular vote. But there's... Right. They said that's very hard to do, to get rid of the Electoral College. It's extremely so, hard to get rid yeah. of the Electoral College, but obviously Trump wants it, you know. He wants to go with the popular vote. And I've been telling people, man, I didn't, even though I felt he'd win, I didn't think he actually wanted to be president. I didn't think he had, he thought he would take it this far. You know, sometimes, you know, I just be talking stuff to talk stuff, and then somebody take you serious. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> so, uh oh. And now it's just like, oh, stuff. President? <laughs> like, you mean I can't just go where I want to go? And I don't think he wants that life. Yeah. So. You know, so we'll see. The final question would be, what message do you have for Americans, all, all Americans, not just African Americans, but all Americans who did not exercise their right to vote on November the 8th? If you did it because you're lazy, then just accept whatever life has to give you. As I, I believe in your duties as a citizen. There are duties. Your jury duty is a duty of the citizenship. It's, you know, so many people uh, hate the system. Well, if you would have been on my jury, I probably would have won. But since you said something crazy to get off, and that, don't be mad at the results now. Um, so I, it's, I, I think people have to take pride in their civic duties um, or don't participate at all that is, which is your right and so the flip side to that is if you were a conscious objector you looked at it you analyzed it and said this ain't something I can vote for which I did for president you know but in California you still had a lot even if you didn't vote for a person you still had, what, 17 statewide ballot measures, and then in L.A. we had like two or three city measures and then like two county measures. So you still mm -hmm. cast upwards of yeah. 20 votes, even if you didn't vote for one person. Um, and Which are very important, those local no, Very, issues. very important. And those are, but still, even though they were issues, like it, they, I took issue like with, a few things, but I didn't feel like there was a whole lot for me to vote for. Um, Kamala Harris is a Howard University alum. Um, I've met her a few times, and she seems to remember me. So, of course, that's a good thing. Might be a place for you yeah, up up north. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, not that I would even want to, but I, the fact that my senator, the thought that my senator knows my face is significant to me. Um, so that's why, you know, I proudly and happily voted for her. Plus, I, just, I fell in love with Kamala Harris when she ran an AG campaign promising to prosecute with compassion. I didn't think it was no way in hell when I heard her say that that she would win, but she actually won, and that made me feel good about, you know, the electorate here in, in California. Um, but I, I really would just want them to know that you you are a part of this. There is a place for you in this country. And to take that place, 
you you will get rights, but with every right comes a responsibility. And you have to take those responsibilities as serious as you take those rights. But I'm sure when you look at it, the people that don't take the responsibilities, such as voting and jury duty seriously, are probably also the same people that will not enforce their rights and exercise their rights. Those same people, oftentimes, I think, unless you're a conscious objector that looked at it and analyzed and said, I can't vote for anything, I can't uh, participate in this system. That's a totally different story and one that I have yet to come to that conclusion that I can't participate in the system. I understand how one could come to that conclusion, especially if you're black uh, in this country. I, I completely understand how you could come to that conclusion, but I have not resolved to come to that conclusion. I still feel um, that the, the people of this nation is more good than there is bad. And I also looked around the world and didn't see anywhere else that, that I could go and just have no problems. So, um, yeah, with that said, those those people that were too lazy to vote, just, you know, don't say anything now. You know, right. that's, that's all I really say to them, don't say anything now, just, just take it. And those that didn't vote because they felt there was nothing to vote for, please work to get something on the ballot that you want to vote for. Because I'm sure you're not happy completely with the way things are going. So go ahead and get something. Uh, you, you have a, if you, you may be right, but now that you've identified this problem, you have to create the solution. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, all, that's all I really want. That self-determination, creating all solutions. Uh, I believe that when the black community does be strengthen its uh, economic prowess, uh, you will see race relations in this country improve. Um, but part of that is us. They, they say we spend over $1 trillion a year, and 2% of that money goes to black business. Mm. $1 trillion in consumers, so that's 1000 Billion, so two percent of that is twenty billion. So if we could just get that number from two percent to five percent, that's fifty billion, which means we'd have an extra thirty billion flowing through our community of what forty million people. It's almost a thousand extra dollars per person a year. I mean, you know, I think we could do that, and then what that would do is spur other businesses because so much money now flowing in our community other needs are going to pop up it can actually happen um, you know it's just about people taking that time and uh, you know I'm sure in the, the more fiscally uh, I do believe the black community is high time to become more fiscally conservative Without so, giving up who we are, because yeah. it is kind of in a like Kanye says, in the black man's soul to rock that gold. <laughs> so you know, I don't want to lose that, but I, I don't want to lose like I don't want to like credit and debt is slavery, and I don't want to see my people enslaved. I don't want to be enslaved, even though it's so tempting to <laughs> to swipe. It's just so easy. So I lied. That wasn't the last question because. Now, I thought of something else. So obviously you have 
great vision of what you want to, to see and, and to happen. And I, I, I get that you are content doing what you do as a criminal defense attorney, but are there any other aspirations? Because you, you have so much to give and not that you couldn't just do that doing what you do now, but it seems like I feel like there's something in you that you're going to give more. Well, I'm, I was a political science major in undergrad. Um, and uh, <clears throat> politics is like, this is my skill, my profession. This is how I make money. I am not going to be a broke revolutionary. That will not happen. <laughs> you know, I, I applaud my parents for standing up to the system, always standing up for the people, which is like 100, if not 100%, 99% responsible where I am today. Because I grew up in a household uh, watching parents stand up for people that felt like they didn't have a voice to speak for themselves. Um, and now that's literally what I do for a living. Um, so, but, you know, ain't no like money in the struggle unless you like sell out or you become an attorney and sue for these wrongs. You know, you can lead a demonstration, but how you gonna get money off of that? You file a lawsuit and s settle a case for $3 million. It's, it's, we, we, can, we can do something with that. Um, and still empower those who uh, are out there demonstrating. But it's uh, but as far as that, one thing I will show you, man, a buddy of mine, we we're and as, so as far as politics as elected official, in growing up, I was class president in high school and whatnot. So I and I think of that often. I see positions. I'm like, man, I could probably do a better job and. When I first worked in the public defender's office, I realized that my biggest beef were, was with the laws, even more so than with the people who enforce them. It's the law themselves that causes the biggest problems. Um, and who does that? Who determines what the laws are? The, the legislature. So uh, I, I saw that, I looked at that. Um, and what I'll say is, Right now, this is where I feel like I can best serve my community. Um, and I, I kind of leave it at that. And at one point, I, like in 2008, I, camp I was on campaigning with Mark Ridley Thomas. I haven't worked on a campaign since. And it's not because, well, that's not true. I've been a little bit for Sebastian Ridley Thomas, and you know, I'm not just with the Ridley Thomas family, but <laughs> back in the 80s, we was the only ones with hyphenated last names, there so you we go. understand each other, you know. But um, I, I, it's, I haven't really, there's been a couple, a couple people running for city council and whatnot, but once, as far as that crowd, the MRT crowd, the, once the machine, once he got in, the machine just took place, and if you're in that circle, like, I'm not gonna spend my time campaigning for you when I know you're going to win 
and you know sometimes and if you I don't know you're gonna win and you're in the MRT machine I probably don't want you to win anyway because you if you can't win with that behind you something something is wrong you know um, but to that end a uh, partner of mine who was the student body president at uh, uh, Westchester my senior year when I was a senior class president um, we we are in the process of putting together like a plan of actual movement like putting some structure to the movement that is taking place right now uh, so when you look at it um, that movement is it's Black Lives the, Matter, or what? No, it's the it's the movement of um, people demanding the the respect, and that's what Black Lives Matter is really about. It's demanding the respect for our lives. Uh, that's from what I understand is why it was started. Now, you know the actual purpose behind the movement and the people doing it. You know, I, I definitely agree with that purpose and with that premise that black lives matter. They matter just as much as anybody else's lives. And we need our government to respect that. That I get to. But I also know you don't get respect just by saying I deserve it. You get it by proving you deserve it. And I'm not the one like, man, let's just prove ourselves to white folks and then they'll love us. It's not like that is we don't need their approval. And if we get powerful in ourselves, we can create the coalitions. There's enough white people now that agree that black lives matter, even though they're conservative. They don't, they're, they're against the entitlements. But the people that, like I, I kind of get offended when people like equate like entitlements with the black community like that's why we should support you because you're gonna give us some government money you, you you can't build a community just on little bits from the government you can sustain yourself for a while until you can build it up for yourself but you got to do it for yourself and any money related to a government the regime especially the federal government the regime has the potential to change every four years so you can't bank on that um, you got to do it for yourself. So the movement we're talking about is uh, quite simple. We have a little PowerPoint. And so what is a movement? A series of organized activities working toward an objective, also an organized effort to promote or attain an end. So that's what we have right now. Black Lives Matter is part of that. They're the, the, the social, the, the voice part of the movement. But ain't no power in that. The only real power quantifiable power that you can have is economic power. If you have economic power, you move forward. Um, so when looking at what our goal is, we have some activities that we plan on doing. You know, the children's crusades were big uh, in the King era, civil rights era. But the, the flip with this is the, the when we do them, it's going to be talking to the people in our community. Like, instead of walking babies out to let them be... Uh, harassed by the police to show the world is we walking these babies out there talking to the people in our community let us live they the we we go to the la times website and and pull up uh homicides of black people the homicide report is over the last 12 months it's going to be over 200 
And of that 200, no more than 5% is going to be from law enforcement. So if we 100% eradicate law enforcement killing of black people in L.A. County, you know, we, we've saved less lives than we would save if we diminished us killing ourselves by 20%. So where's, what do we have more, more uh, power over? the police or ourselves, I say ourselves. Mm -hmm. So those children's crusades would be to talk to the gangsters, like let our babies live. Then um, we also, we have a plan to actually put together a lobbying firm that will actually go up into Sacramento because we want to do this on the state level. Um, and we think that's a problem with a lot of movements that try and go straight to the national level. But you look at the LGBT, it was their state victories that got them to the Supreme Court and you know, ultimately ended up where they wanna be. So we wanna actually create a PAC, a political action committee, so now you can actually donate to the movement and now they can go up and, like clicking and ticket, I believe, is an uh, avenue for racial profiling to exist. Hmm. All day, every day, people drive around without their seat belts, but the cops, we don't even want as a society cops pulling over every person. It's just too much on society. Uh, but they can pick and choose now. It allows them that right to pick and choose. And all the uh, evidence and the studies and the statistics show that they tend to choose us or they tend to choose black people more than anybody else. So just those issues like that going up to Sacramento, um, spearheading the effort to buy black, bank black, and promote black entrepreneur entrepreneurial enterprise, and uh, the coordinated social media campaigns and uh, community gatherings that are geared to effectively and positively empowering the body, soul, and mind of black Americans. Now, understand, this is with the goal of making America the best that it can be. It cannot be as long as we're in the pain that we're in. So. When, if anybody hears this and like, oh, he's only looking out for black people. Well, you know, when you break your foot, you don't do surgery on your arm. You know, you gotta heal the, the problem area. And this is a problem area in our country. Anybody that disputes that isn't paying attention. They're not being honest. So, so this is, you know, that's just briefly our plan, our goals and what we wanna do. The objective is economic empowerment first, then the political empowerment and the, well, like the personal empowerment and economic empowerment kind of go hand in hand um, because uh, uh, it's hard to get the community right when the individuals in the community are wrong. Um, but there's, there's, there's the actual plan uh, that we have. And so we try to keep it quick. The PowerPoint we've put together is only, you know, about eight total slides. You know, we're looking for to get organized, organizing with various stakeholders, whether it be business owners, banks, the um, Panhellenic Council, those fraternities, sororities. You know, how many of them, you know, what, like the in LA, the Alphas had an Alpha house and the Kappas had a Kappa house, but uh, I don't think like any, either of them, despite all their members and all the money they make, uh, own a mall or, you know, any area where commerce can happen. Um, but, you know, we, we have the ability to. And we don't have to buy in Beverly Hills like 
I was just on Adams last night, uh, where I live. I, I stay off of Adams, um, at, uh, and uh, there's uh, the court, which is there on Adams. But then there was another business. It was like nice and done up, and they were charging like forty dollars a head to get in there. They had wine and cheese and jazz and everything going on. And I'm like, man, we would never. Nobody would ever think to do that, but they did. They can see the benefit. Why we can't see the benefit in our own community? Why can't we put paint on these buildings? Why can't we knock this dilapidated building down and rebuild it into something nice and take control of, of our economy? There's enough money flowing in the hood. How do we know this for a fact? Because the crack dealers got rich. So they didn't get rich in Beverly Hills. They got rich in the hood. So there's money in the hood. It's just what are we giving it to? What are we putting it to? And I think if you give the people options, they will choose to support your business. And you got to create a quality business. We're not with the whole support me because I'm black. Support me because I do a good job, because I provide you with a quality good or a quality service. That's why you support me and let the supporting black be the benefit. And with that, man, we, we build that, we grow it. And uh, any and the, the, the best thing about this plan, I actually feel that and and with this in mind and with us already having this in play i actually feel this plan is better uh to be affected under uh trump presidency than mm. the clinton presidency because we need the government to kind of like let us do our thing yeah and i feel like clinton would have been like well we'll show you how to do it we'll do it and it'll all be no we don't and i feel like trump would be like oh give it a shot go ahead I wonder, I mean, you mentioned the Greek organizations and how they should come together and, and build something together. Why wouldn't someone, and I'm just picking him because he's probably the most obvious choice right now, someone like Magic Johnson, obviously he's done things within the community, but normally most of his partners are not African Americans. So, how how do you get someone like him on board to kind of spearhead this? Well, the thing, like from what I understand, Magic was like the least wealthy on the the group that mm -hmm. bought the Dodgers. So, if Magic is the least wealthy, and that's who he goes to, he don't have nobody in the black community <laughs> to go to, uh, which means not that you don't do business, it just means you can't do it at this level yet. So we have to get these mom and pops running, get these communities cleaned up on the, the macro level, I mean on the micro level. And that's, um, I think, what it would take, but at the same time, we need that representation on Wall Street and in professional sports and in uh, Hollywood and, you know, Vegas. I, Man, somebody please put a black-owned hotel, Vegas hotel on the strip. You know, it'd be great. It'd be dope to That'd have. Be the party. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's, it's some multi-billionaire white boy that's like, that's a good idea, and they will do it, and they'll create it, and you know, and I'm not, I don't have, like I tell people, I mean, we mentioned Phil Jackson before we started, but 
I don't have a problem with like a situation like that. Phil Jackson led a lot of. Uh, it was a comedian said something about like he led a lot of brothers to the promised land. Like there's, we have a good uh, history of of working together when there's mutual respect, black and white. So um, we don't necessarily need to to do it all black, but we do need to have a significant stake in the ownership. We have to have our. We need our thirteen percent. If that's what we're the population, we are, that's all we want. But, you know, we don't even have that. That's the, the biggest problem. We don't have that, that stake. But I think what stops him is, you know, well, Magic, I, I don't know that he would be the right person because Magic is a, a great figure in the L.A. community, but he's not like L.A., like black L.A. is not where he spent much of his time, you know, he was he was a Laker, and that's what brought you to L.A. Um, so not that saying that he totally neglected black community, I'd be wrong, and no way am I saying that. But you know, Magic and Kobe, that's not really what they were known as. Um, so you you need, uh, but but we do need folks like that. Somebody, I think Ice Cube is probably. More so, I don't know that he has the money of a magic, but I believe he's mm -hmm. nine figures. Yeah. You know, his what movies. about Dr. Dre? Dr. I mean, Dre as well. He has the money. Yeah, doc, those are the ones that actually came from it. Um, that I think have to spearhead that um, because one thing about Magic Man, like the Magic Johnson theaters, he built it. It was dope, but. You know, that was it. Like, it just got run down after a while. Then the rave took it over. So, who, that's the thing, who has the money to do the renovations to the theater that the rave did? You know, put the XD in there and, and the 3D. Uh, who, who can afford to do that? So, we need these connections. We just have to be in a position to where when we do them, it's not these, you know, we have the idea, we make it, but y'all getting 55% of the profit. That's what we need to do is get in a position to where, you know, we, we have a, the 80-20 deal and not the 40-60 or the 45-55. And because you can't, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can, like, make it without funding, but how do you do that? And which is part of the reason why, you know, we have the, Global African Initiative because that is another funding source. Mm -hmm. there, if, you know, but who knows? Doing business with Nigerians may not be, with rich Nigerians may not be too different from doing business with rich white Americans. You know, you, you never know until you try, but at least it's another funding source. And now it's like, oh, you don't want these, you don't want to give it to us on these terms. Well, the Chinese are willing to, the Nigerians are willing to, the rest, whoever, whoever's willing to, to do that. And, you know, we've been loyal and not really searching for global uh, funding when all these big companies have taken their businesses overseas. So all I'm trying to say is, you know, the, the parts of the system that work, you know, unless you're just going to totally defect and not be American, you, you got to play by the rules that are set and... You know, we, we have enough to learn them. All what I would want to be, the position I want to play is to make sure that we're allowed to play by those rules and the rules don't keep getting changed up on us. 
that's really all we need. Because, like I said, man, have, we wouldn't need to have these conversations if Black Wall Street wasn't burnt down. If we were able to naturally and organically grow, we'd have our own, and it wouldn't be no question. The same way every big city you go to, Chinatown, its own thing, its own economy, bam, it's up and running. We should have been able to have that. But, you know, unfortunately for us, everywhere you go, everywhere there's Martin Luther King Boulevard, you know, there's problems. But mm -hmm. um, I'm, I think we do need to gentrify our own communities, though. I do think that, and that doesn't cost that much. That's what we can do. We can put our law offices and our doctor's offices and our boutique fashion shops. They don't have to go to Melrose. You can put them on uh, uh, Adams. You can put them on Jefferson. Um, you can put them on Slauson. We can, we can keep our money south of the, the 10 freeway if we wanted to. Um, and that won't take big hurrah, just some paint, some good customer service. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a business, Simply Wholesome. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah, right up the um, street. On La Brea, right? Uh, uh, it's like Overhill and Slauson. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, La Brea yeah. is one block over, yeah, basically. exactly. So Simply Wholesome ain't cheap. Yeah. But it's packed all the time. Yeah, Why? I remember when they first opened, actually. Yeah. Quality food, quality uh, goods that they sell, and you, you feel like family when you walk in there. They, they take care. They, they give you that place. And when I see the prices that people pay to, to be in an environment that is made for them and safe for them and enjoyable for them, we will do it. We will spend that money. But we have to have it. We have to create it. Like, we're in the hood, fried fish spots all through the hood. Where can you go get, like, a Malibu fish grill anywhere in the hood and go get a $12 plate of salmon and vegetables and rice? But go to the Malibu fish grill in El Segundo, it's all black people in line. Mm. I'm running to my friend. Well, of course we would spend that money <laughs> in our own community because we drove miles and miles to spend it. So that's what we need to start doing is is thinking on the smaller levels. And like I went to Hampton University undergrad, so it's that Booker T. Washington that, you know, he like people's mad at him at the time, but now you look back, we got black people with a bunch of degrees, but where's the institution? You know, right after slavery, we had the market cornered on the service industry. We should have numerous black billionaire families who rose up in the service industry and created these multinational corporations. Um, but I don't think it's too late to start. I don't think it's too late to start. And I think my generation may need to be the generation that makes that sacrifice, uh, that buckles down, um, gets us back right, because, you know, we're in the, 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 uh, with the black community in America, I feel like you got to separate it into the B.C. era and the, the after the B, the, the A.C., not A.D., but I guess A.C., and that's the before the crack and after crack. And before crack, you know, we had a fighting chance of plumbers, uh, uh, mechanics, roofers all over the place. And, but the blue collars would really, would crack really hit. You know, it didn't hit the white collar as hard. Definitely white collar people use it, but mm -hmm. you know, a lot of cocaine don't do what crack does to you. So uh, that's that's what I want to see, man. And you know, I think um, 
what Magic Johnson could do that is because don't take as much money. Okay, well, you know, I might not be the one to get my hands dirty, but here's $2 million I set aside for, for grants for businesses in these communities. <clears throat> he could do something like that. That's what I, I would like to see. Um, then you, and it's not just, you know, buying 1,000 turkeys. It's like, oh, I'm putting, like, man, that's a good plan. You yeah. know, you it's only gonna take you a hundred thousand. Well, here's a hundred. Now we got nineteen more, and now we got twenty solid businesses. Maybe twelve to fifteen of them work, but now five years later, these twelve bit fifteen businesses are flourishing. You know, ten of them have created multiple locations of their businesses, and now, you know, we have hundreds of people employed based off this $2 million and, and uh, great quality services and goods readily accessible in communities that they weren't accessible before because Magic Johnson gave $2 million to, to fund these, these startup companies. And that's what I, what I would like to see from them. I, I think that would be beneficial. But till we get organized, a plan, how are we gonna go to Magic Johnson? Who am I gonna get the money to? Yes. I ain't just gonna throw it in the hood. I ain't just gonna make it rain. So, <laughs> who I'm gonna get the money to? But but put together a cohort of businessmen, entrepreneurs, businesswomen who have good plans for businesses in this community and attack them like that. I think he'd probably be excited and and want to jump on it. Yeah. All right. So before we tell everyone how to reach you, you might want to tell them about the movement a little bit, where, where they found out more information about that, if that's accessible yet. Um, the Global African Initiative, Jaye person hyphenated Lynn. Is there a, a origin of your name before yeah, you Yeah, my name, um, it came from, the, it was a book of African names, and my brother, Jareem, I have four brothers, uh, but my mother has two sons. Um, so Jareem is my older brother from my mother, Jai. Jareem is God's light, and Jai, the whole name is Jaiola, and it's like God's opportunity uh, is, is what they told me it means. And, but my name is Jai, you know, and I tell people this. Like, ever since I went to Africa, South Africa, I've been five times now, but after the first trip, I realized, like, you know, we have a culture here. I, I'm from a place, and I'm proud of it now. We... You know, we make big, fat burgers, and that's our food. You know, you go Jamaica, you eat some jerk chicken, that's <laughs> their thing. Well, you know, fat burgers is, is our thing. And that's, that's it. I didn't realize, I just it was just food my whole life until I left and realized, oh, this is our thing. This is our culture. And so I'm proud of it. I take pride in being a black American, being a descendants of those that were uh, taken from those shores. and. And I also have to recognize my own, my, my entire lineage. You know, we, we did my, my father's DNA, came back to the Timne people of Sierra Leone, the crew of Liberia, and the Mandinka of Senegal. And it was like his father's 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 line. Um, so, you know, I'm very excited to find out how Mandingos or, you know, walk around like, yeah, baby, I'm Mandingo. So <laughs> <laughs> but oh, then on the, on the flip side of that, when they did my mom's, like my mother's mother's mother's, 
And, you know, my parents were real pro-black, and my dad was doing, like, a film festival in San Diego, and that's where they were going to announce my mom's, and, you know, saw these black conscious people down there, and they pulled her to the side, like, yo, we, well, we can still do the announcement, but it went back to England, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, but you know, if you do that for a lot of us, it'll be so. I I kind of took that and it was it was like, wow, what what do I do with that? Well, I'm Mandingo and English, and we got this Native American, and it made me realize, like, <laughs> oh snap, I am American. This this mix of people of West African and European, of Western European and. Uh, North American indigenous people, this mix only happens in this land. And so, it, you know, maybe in the future we gonna all end up like this, but this is this is what it is, and, and I took pride in that. And, you know, if that's what mix makes me up, then if I'm English, then damn, you better treat me the same way you would uh, somebody, you know, with white skin walking in asking for a spot of tea. I need the same respect because we got that same blood there. So that's how I looked at it. Um, and it's not to any way diminish me being black because that's it's more than just a, a, a color. It's like a, a culture. And, you know, you can be black racially and not be black culturally. And you cannot be black racially and <laughs> you can be black culturally. Sure. Um, so that's... Uh, that's how I look at it, but I, I do think it is important for us to know that history and, you know, and, and don't be afraid to identify that part of, of your history because if, if we're like, oh, I'm, I love Africa, that's because that's our history, that's who we're from, and, you know, we're kings and queens and all of that, but you're denying your, your European ancestry, you know, are, are you really keeping it real? And like acknowledging it doesn't mean that oh now I acknowledge I got white blood slavery was okay no it wasn't <laughs> it's still not okay and they're not mutually exclusive um, but I think it does give you a stake in what's, what's going on and, and not that you don't have a stake if you don't have European blood but you know use that to your advantage to help your brothers and sisters who are less fortunate than you Whatever you got, you got to use it. And uh, but knowing your history is important, and you you cannot you, you you cannot like just claim one part. And that that's I mean you can, but you're gonna always be reaching for more, and you're not gonna find it because you're not being truthful with yourself. You more than just black, and you more than just African. You, you don't get to that color like, you know, there was some dark-skinned Africans that they took from Africa and brought over here. It wasn't, I mean, maybe they had some lighter tribes, like there's a few lighter people down in South Africa, but from the West Africans I see, they're pretty dark-skinned people. And their, their hair is real coarse, real tight curls. Um, how did you get that long wavy hair? Mm. Where'd it come from? You know that... That you know, tan skin. Where did it come from? It came from the, the the your actual lineage. So don't don't be ashamed of that just because the cool thing is to be black. And then don't be like, oh, I got white blood. I ain't like you, nigga. You know, you can't do that either. So it's a 
it's but you know it's I, I don't think it's right to just only um, acknowledge your your black side to the mm -hmm. detriment because uh, it's, it's it's not being um, completely truthful but with the understanding that black in America means that mix as mm -hmm. well as you could be 100% pure African blood or you could be mixed but in America it all means black you know yeah. and um but don't don't deny your history because you know how would you look if you denied your African ancestry like people call you a sellout this is your truth as as well as your your African truth so and this I, I think that's important for us to acknowledge Seems like this will never end, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I promise, one more. Because you said, and you said it in another voice as you were saying, talking for someone else, but you used the N word. So is there any place for that word in anyone's vocabulary? Is it a term of endearment? Uh, or we'll, we'll end it with that, and then we're going to let people know yeah. where to find you. I really believe there's a difference in N-I-G-G-E-R and N-I-G-G-A. I know the, the origin may be the same, but, you know, when I think back to the origin, like, how would a southern white man say Negro? I'm like, oh, these are Negros. And then I think it probably just evolved into that term. But the reason I'm okay with it is because it had so much power at one point that it no longer has. We took that power away from it. Um, or it still has to some degree, but not to the degree that it once had it. But that's one side. The other side is, you know, we do know what the origins were. Um, and do do I want to respond to that is the, the question. But I can say as as somebody that's thoroughly thought about this and I, I do like uh, when Kendrick Lamar came with the uh, N-E-G-U-S. And he's like, oh, so negas. And there's, you know, it's just, you know, it don't ro roll off the tongue as easy just yet. But if, if negas means, you know, royalty and uh, all of that, then that's what we try and say. It's the same amount of syllables. So why, and uh, my friends, especially my, my Hampton circle, has been conscious of using that word, uh, but it's it's a little different. I guess it it depends on like where you're out, where you are, and who you are. Like you know, you're Trent the Gent, right? But you may be little Nook Nook at the house, and <laughs> <laughs> when it's just you and your mom and them around, you little Nook Nook. But when other people come around, you better not call me little Nook Nook, and that. So I think it kind of goes in that vein as well. Like it is, it does uh, determine, it is like you're in the family so you can use that word. And I, I, and there's, you know, some significance to that. But anybody that, like that's all you hold on to to secure your blackness, I think you are real off target with that. But it, I think it is cool to use it, you know, in that particular regard. Um, as you know, basically saying this is we're, we're having a family discussion right now. All right. So, Jaya, where can I find you? You can list as many as you want. All right. Whatever you want. I got to get more technical. I need a website, but uh, for now, um, 
uh, on Facebook is Jaye Person Lynn, J A A Y E. Uh, P is in Paul, E R S is in Sam, O N as in Nancy, hyphen, L Y N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy. Uh, and then it's J Person Lynn at Gmail with uh, no hyphen in the email address. Um, if anybody looking for legal services, the could call me directly 424 261 2075. Once again, that's 424 261 2075. On Instagram, it's at Lincoln Lawyer LA. Um, Facebook, I mean, Twitter, J A E S Q, J A A Y E E S Q. And those are the ways to find me or you know if you just want to come hang out in these LA streets I'm usually there as well you there know? you go well it's been well worth the two hours and, and 40 minutes yeah I can't believe you got some editing to do <laughs> Man, people well, will click on that show and be like hopefully not to too that. much well obviously I'm gonna <laughs> probably put it in in, in parts but I want to thank you um, so much for agreeing to, to do this and um, it's it's been fun so yeah, it has been you know it's my birthday week I turn 34 tomorrow oh my goodness yeah having a nice uh, well I, every Friday I just go to the cork on Adam because my building I manage is three blocks up and you can't get a DUI walking home so <laughs> that's why I love going there and then uh, um, but Sunday, I'm having a big celebration. It's entitled Grapes, Cheese, and Trees. So, you know, Prop 64 passed so people can come. And what I'm trying to do is, like, let in the taboo on marijuana. Like, let's talk about it because we do need to explain the fact that there are side effects to this. Like, we don't, because it's been so taboo, I don't know that we've done the studies on is there any correlation between marijuana use and memory difficulties in the long run i think people should know that if they're gonna indulge and you know it, it's it's those conversations so i'm i'm doing it to try and take away the taboo-ness of marijuana where it's like now it's it's legal and then if you in law enforcement you can hang out as long as ain't nobody selling it at the party you know you can hang out if you elected official you can ha come hang out you in the church whatever you're doing you can come hang out, but it's uh, it's it's plan it's uh, grapes, cheese, and cheese. South LA sophistication is what it's called. So nice. It's gonna be real nice, something different for the people. You know, we're gonna have like little wine and weed pairing for like it's your Sauvignon and sativa. And <laughs> is now this is by invite only, obviously. Yeah, but, but I'm sure <laughs> by the time this makes it out, oh, the, yeah. the event's I, gonna have happened. I doubt I'll yeah. have it up by Sunday, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You never so know. So that's uh. But yeah, plus you don't know the location. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but nah, but it, it party. is. Yeah, it's gonna be in uh, Inglewood, and it should be nice, man. I got a taco lady coming. This black taco lady. And, oh my uh, goodness. Yeah, she uh she her terrific tacos, man. She like blended traditional African American food with like traditional Mexican flavors to make like the best taco ever, in my opinion. I just love them. So this is like the fourth event she's done for me. Uh, we got some. Um, did, did you mention her name? 
Yeah, Sharific Tacos. Sharific Tacos. And I'm sure if we Google that, we'll, we'll find yeah. her. So, yeah. so uh, Oh, she's in Long Beach. Yeah, out of Long Beach. There's yeah. some, and, and just yeah. a, a young entrepreneurial uh-huh. sis. I believe she's like a nurse. And she does this on the side and building up. And she just bought a, a truck. So she's having it renovated and turned into what it is. So just seeing that, because I first used her like in 2012. So now we're here in 2016 and to see her business growing. It's, I'm inspired by it. And happy she's still giving me 2012 prices because, you know, with the DJ and the taco lady and the tent and the tables and the chairs. And I was like, I just want to have a little get together. It turned into a, a full on classy and event. Man, my brother does a staffing agency, uh, SOS Staffing. And so I'm going to have a couple people in tuxedos walking around pouring the wine. It's going to be real classy. Nice. That's uh, something that hasn't been seen in that neighborhood uh, just yet. So happy birthday to you. Yes. Early birthdays. Shaquille O'Neal years. And uh, there you go. And I'm sure uh, we look forward to hearing many great things about you in, yeah. in the future. So, so thank you once again, Jaya. Thanks for having me. All right.